0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
2: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is
3: the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy Thursday. It's going to be a great day. We've got a wonderful lineup of guests today. Like, for example, Russian TV. You know that Russia is promoting a, a, cable, or a cable network. RT, RT TV. RT Network. RT America. Or just RT. Or just RT. Which stands for? Russian television. Russia TV. and uh, Huge marketing uh, development on that one. But paid and funded by... I guess, Russia, the government.
4: Well, there's other people, but yeah. By the way, ad-free television. And it's interesting, when you watch, they uh, cover the news, but from Russia's point of view. And They're they're sitting in the White House, they're in the State Department, they're in all the places you would see a a big U.S. national network have their reporters, and that's where RT has their people. It's like Al
3: Jazeera, that's no longer in the United States, uh, but Al Jazeera America... Basically a very credible news station yeah
4: they heard, they heard a lot the of, a lot of people that you would know if the, when they were on and they they did a lot of quality like investigative journalism right Larry but,
3: Larry King's on this network by the way RT RT yeah he has his uh show on there and so Ed Schultz, the old MSNBC host that uh you know progressive uh, host see that's the problem everybody thinks well, it's well this is Russia I mean they're obviously. At telling the, them what to say. Or at the die. same
4: time, reporters have left RT, who have complained that uh, they're trying to tell the story, and then their their news director, or whoever comes in, and says, "No, we need to do it this way." Yeah, because well, this is what the head office is saying, so mm-hmm. we need to. Uh, Vlad didn't like what you were wearing tonight. Shade the story this direction, just so
3: it kind of meets more of the company line, I guess. Which, by the way, is a similar thing you might hear at other stations. I mean, Ed Schultz is no longer on uh, MSNBC, right? And he might say, "Well, you know, when I worked for MSNBC, they're a major weapons contractor. Absolutely, GE, the company that owns MSNBC. So, yeah. would you rather be owned by a weapons contractor or the Russian government? People like you know, people like Larry King are saying they're not telling me what to say." I just say what I want to say. Now, when you get to a bigger name like that, they may not.
4: But may not when someone's
3: it. covering the news, they might say, hey, let's look at this from the Russian perspective. The thing is that's crazy is the millennials are liking it. I mean the millennials like uh, this freedom, this freedom to choose where their n- news source is. In fact, they're also even on uh, Russian television on RT. They're trying to actually make more satire you know, news shows like uh, – Um, John Stewart's show. I mean it's – they're they're finding that real news doesn't necessarily sell as well as some of these uh, other shows. So we will be talking with a professor, Dr. Sophia McLennan, about – Russian television can a Russian funded cable network actually promote free press in the US we'll be talking about that we'll also be doing other headlines throughout the hour but first let's get to Terry and he's going to walk us through uh, the US headlines what's going on Terry
4: thanks Matt President Obama told reporters at the G7 summit in Japan today that uh, world leaders are rattled by presumptive GOP presidential nominee Donald Trump Obama who has tended to prefer criticizing Trump uh, obliquely rather than speaking about him head on mince no words in calling the candidate ignorant of world affairs and guilty of displaying a cavalier attitude more concerned about tweets and headlines rather than facts and how these the things he say actually the things he says Affects world affairs. Hmm. Bernie Sanders has pulled into a statistical tie with Hillary Clinton in California's June seventh Democratic primary, according to a Public Policy Institute of California poll released Wednesday night. Clinton leads Sanders among likely voters forty six to forty four percent, within the poll's margin of error. Among Democrats, Clinton leads forty nine to forty one. But there has been a surge of independents registering in California. Unaffiliated voters can vote in this primary. Getting does he not know he's out of the race? Um, yeah. yeah he, somebody needs to I think he knows. He's just not publicly acknowledging. Okay. So, uh, 11 states plan to sue the Obama administration over its recent directive mandating transgender access to public schools uh, and bathrooms that correspond with their identified gender. The new rule was announced by the White House in response to a law enacted in North Carolina which said transgender individuals must use the public bathroom matching the gender listed on their birth certificate. The lawsuit alleges that the Obama administration even though if you look at the documentation, it says the Department of Education, but I guess it's all the same thing, conspired to turn workplaces and educational settings across the country into laboratories for a massive social experiment, flouting the democratic process and running roughshod over common sense policies protecting children and basic privacy rights.
3: Hmm. So that'll be a fight that continues. Twelve states against... Eleven. Eleven states against uh, Obama. Weird. Or the Department of Education. Mm
4: Mm-hmm. No. Same thing
3: is it? Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that's his administration, and
4: they're just saying it's Title Nine. Yeah. In, until something. Well, but he, but, but until, Obama until put, put forward
3: a, a mandate, right? That this has got to happen. Not a mandate. A, no an it, executive. No every. That, well, it wasn't an executive order. It was a dear colleague letter from the Department of Education. But to every educational facility that is funded by the Department of Education. Yes, so under, under Title Nine. So it's kind of like a. This
4: is no. Where, I mean, it, there, there's a difference between coming right from Obama's desk and then the Department of Education saying under Title IX, this is what needs to happen.
3: Well, right, except the the depart, the, the schools have to respond to whatever comes down. Yeah. And if he's the head of the department that yeah, sent the
4: memo. I guess the problem is it's being
3: painted as it's
4: an executive order. Oh, yeah. No, it's not an executive and order. And it's not. But yeah. it's being painted that way.
3: Right. It's well, and, it's politics, right? And
4: kind of, well, yeah, but what it says is Title IX says this until something's different. Yeah, and the people throw their hands up in the air, and it's like, like well, the? Yeah, Title Nine. They're just kind of this. We need to keep the status quo until there's a decision.
3: Well, but this isn't the status quo. They're this saying is, it well, is. Well, they're saying well, every no. Well, they would never have let. I in know. most schools, they wouldn't have let this happen. So they're saying this but is new. That's why this is all happening. Yeah. That's why there's going to be a court this situation. That, this is going to get. This is going to turn into. This will be a Supreme Court decision someday. Hopefully, just to
4: settle it and move on. You know.
3: Yeah, that means it's going to be in the news forever.
4: Another uh, story. We'll move on here. A uh, social studies teacher from Maine was arrested on dom- domestic violence charges last month while wearing a shirt that said "Stop Domestic Violence." Police say the 38-year-old Emily Ugh. Wilson was arguing with her husband in the bedroom, She be- and she believes he was having an affair when she waved a gun around before firing it into their mattress. Oh, no
3: way. She
4: also grabbed her husband's wrist. He called 911, and then she was arrested wearing a T-shirt oh.
3: to stop doing what she was doing. Can I change my shirt before we walk out? <laughs> oh, that's sad. Crazy! So, uh, is it possible that Jeb Bush would ever... Do you think ever endorsed Donald Trump? No. Ever. I do not believe so. I, I think we're not going to hear from the Bushes for years. I think they're done. At least Jeb. Yeah. We, yeah. Uh, here's, a, here's a quote from Donald Trump on a Jeb Bush endorsement.
5: The people I competed against have now endorsed me. And most importantly, no, Jeb hasn't done it yet. He will get a burst of energy and he will do it. Believe me. I'm telling you. Needs a little more energy. Now jeb Jeb has not been nice. Jeb has been Jeb was in Europe, and he was talking about me. He didn't think that in
6: Europe, I'd get the word back, but he was talking bad on television about me, so anyway, if mm. so they talk badly
5: if they talk badly, you talk badly, that's the way it works Wow
3: so a burst of energy, and he will endorse Donald, yeah, I mean, I guess the assumption is that everybody that wants power will have to jump on board because he's the guy but Maybe some people just have a moral decision to make where they just can't do it. it I just, just can't endorse It the guy. seems like Even there's been a, a lot
4: of Republicans who said they wouldn't. They're now, okay, fine. He's the candidate. We'll support the party. Even though they were morally against him at some point. Yeah, And many people have said they were morally against him. And they're, they're
3: – I know. That's what we'll have to see. I guess this is going to tell you. If, if somebody really has had a moral issue with him, will they hold out? And we saw it in the debates – yeah. The other uh, candidates sat there and they
4: they they pledged to vote for the candidate. After they sat there, all of them railing against
3: Trump for like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. I'll vote for him. <laughs> oh, let's do it now. Um, it was interesting. This Clinton email report's getting a lot of traction now. It's weird because a lot of the things she had said, you know, like that she's totally helpful. She's willing to give any information they need. She's gonna. She's going to totally be a part of the answering any of the questions. But according to that report, she wasn't as forthcoming as she needed to be. Hmm. There were some, some issues. Uh, Clinton's press secretary had a comment about the email report.
6: I think the report today backs up much of what we were saying and includes an appropriate amount of context about how widespread the use of personal email was. So I actually think the report today um, – puts a lot of those questions to bed based on how fair it was in explaining that the use of personal email was widespread and done by her predecessors, including Secretary Powell.
3: Yeah. So it's it's a good thing that the report came out. Yeah, because everybody else did it. Yeah. So you can see this was how it was done. Except Powell didn't have a server. No, he used like Gmail or something. Yeah. And Powell Which... didn't do the volume. No. And also – a big part of this thing is how much she went against policy over and over and over, even to the point of telling everybody, we're not talking about my emails ever again. Don't bring it up. Shh. Ah, the tangled web. These are our two candidates. Mm. Isn't it crazy? You get to choose, folks. Or just go watch Russian television. See what Vlad has to say. I mean, really,
4: it's good TV. I've I've heard press conferences in say like the State Department mm-hmm. where they're making comments, they're 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 making lobbying accusations, you could say, at Russia for doing this. And then a hand goes up and then you can see the, the guy up there giving the, the uh the briefing just kinda go, Ugh. Oh boy. And then you call on the reporter from RT Yeah, what do you want? And they're asking questions like so uh Russia moves their tanks towards their own border and that's Inflammatory and just provocative and all this, but the United States flies their tanks from the United States all the way across the Atlantic <laughs> to Europe through five or six countries right up to the border so they can parade them on a a national parade in one of the stands, I guess. Or so they say. And And that's not provocative? Yeah. And they're like, oh no no, we're supporting our allies. And Russia's like, really? What are we supposed to think when you got a whole, you know, uh, you know, regiment of tanks just right there off our border? What are we supposed to think? And the State Department guy's like, well, we're not going to debate this right now. You're like, well, why why not answer that question?
3: Just answer it.
4: Yeah, but yeah. they they dodge things and 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 the the people that go in there go in with these questions and they know they can kind of. You know, and then all of a sudden, there's a guy from the AP who goes, "Yeah, answer that. Why? Why do we do that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a good question, and, and Mister so RT I, guy. I think it's in a, in a way it's good to have them in the room, right? Because it brings
3: the discussion back to reality instead of propaganda that shouldn't we'll get this, tossed yeah, This around. is free. This is free press. This is the benefit of the free press. Except, it's, I'm not sure everybody loves the idea of a free press. No, no, especially the press. Yeah, but again, the idea that. There's not a bias on every other station. It's crazy. Well, like you said, with, with like NBC, they have General Electric. Yeah. There was several years
4: ago, there were some airplane engine problems. Mm-hmm. And all the other nightly news led with these airplane engines because that's a big safety yeah, issue. Take planes down. Except for NBC,
3: who well, skipped the story. But, you know, there was other news that night. Right. And their parent company, they're not going to they're not the, going to bring it up. Bus. That's what we're going to be talking about in fact right now we are we're going to get into uh this this RT Russian Television. It's a Russian funded cable network. And you know what? It's doing pretty well. Um you know, it's following a little bit uh the Al Jazeera America model which eventually ran out of money and funding and uh was no longer they're no longer with us. Al Jazeera still exists but not Al Jazeera television. Dr. Sophia McLennan will be joining us talking about an article she wrote about this. Can Russia, a Russia-funded network actually promote free press in the United States? We're going to be talking about freedom of press. Up next here, folks, this is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and lead healthier, happier lives. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, news outlets like Fox News, CNN, MSNBC dominate the cable news world. The American public is bombarded with bias reporting with few options for alternative op- or opinions. However, there are internationally funded networks. They are pushing media boundaries here in the United States and perhaps even promoting free press within our country. One of these outlets is RT America, Russian-founded um, outlet that airs here in the States and aims to compete with the three major uh, cable stations. Joining us today to talk to us more about these alternative stations is Dr. Sophia McClennan, Professor of International Affairs and Comparative Literature at Pennsylvania State University. Dr. McClennan, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show.
0: Thanks for
3: having me. You bet. Honored to have you. And what a, what an interesting dynamic. Uh, Al, Al Jazeera Television came in. Um, you know, didn't seem to be able to make it financially. They pulled out. But uh, and I, I I kind of thought that was the end of these outsider out of the United States kind of funded uh, cable stations. But Russian television is apparently doing okay right now. Give us a little more background on Russian television in America.
0: Well, I mean, there's you know, there's a pretty interesting story here, right, because RT America didn't have the same sort of uh, market model and news plan that Al Jazeera did. Um, what RT is really trying to do in its U.S. broadcast is offer a perspective on news that we don't see, hmm. as you pointed out, in the mainstream media. But the difference, of course, is that, you know, given the sort of larger – you know, Cold War politics and history of the relationship between Russia and the United States. There's a longstanding sort of history yeah. of both countries trying to kind of inform the other country's populations about different
3: attitudes and different
0: ideas. Right. And so, so it didn't come out of nowhere, and that that may be one of the differences, right, between Al Jazeera and RT.
3: That's true. It's interesting, um, but I mean, Al Jazeera in in our minds, that word Al Jazeera was. I mean, even, even RT America changed their name to make it maybe less obvious what they're doing. But oh, Al Jazeera absolutely. wouldn't change their name.
0: Al Jazeera wouldn't change their name. What's interesting is that since it's gone uh, – it went off the air in the middle of March, uh, I think uh, – they now have a an online uh, cable, I mean, an online video provider called AJ Plus.
7: Mm-hmm. Oh, there and you if go. You
0: see that the AJ Plus is Al Jazeera, and now they've done it. Like they realized, and they and they. I just saw a piece that they did on sort of protests in Brazil, right?
7: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, and it's getting a lot of play over Facebook. So they decided to go that route and not have a regular twenty four hour station.
3: So they they are getting it now now here's um, here is Russia that uh, now, and who okay so who's backing RT America?
0: Well, that's one of the biggest differences too is that RT America has absolutely no advertising. All of the money comes from the Russian state, all of it. <laughs> and so it's 100% state funded. Whereas, you know, Al Jazeera did did run advertising, and, you know, that that changes the model completely because you have to have, you know, you have to obviously have a certain amount of viewers to please your advertisers, and then again, sometimes your advertisers care about your content, right? Yeah. Uh, Whereas RT doesn't have to worry about any of that.
3: So they don't have to worry about your advertisers being mad that you're, you know, making fun of their product or whatever, but... You do have the Russian government, uh, Vladimir Putin, over. It seems like he'd be hanging over every editorial decision.
0: Well, that's where the sticking point comes with RT America. So RT America airs a bunch of news stations that are not that different from sort of the kinds of things we see on regular cable, uh, you know, uh, throughout the day. And then it, it has some opinion shows. It has a financial show. It has a comedy show, which is a satire show. Um, it has some talk show type stuff. And so what I found out in my research that was interesting that, was that when it came to news, it was pretty you know, clear that on the news side, Russia was definitely interested in not having stories that made Russia look bad. Mm-hmm. So when it came to coverage of Ukraine, yes, they're going to exercise their influence. But strangely, when it comes to sort of the talk shows or shows, say, with People like Tom Hartman, who's also on True TV, who has a you know pretty big following, uh, or say Larry King, who does his interview show with them now, has I think two shows with them. Those guys, I you know I talked to, I interviewed a bunch of them, and every single one said they had zero, zero you know meddling yeah. of any kind. Wow. Um, Tom Hartman told me a very funny story because I said, look, you know, because he's a reasonably political person. Yeah. I said, seriously, you're not, you're never getting anything. He goes, well, I do have, you know, I meet with the, you know, the managing director every week. We have lunch. And he said, and I meet with know, the colonel.
7: Time, <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. One time he sat me down and he said, you know, Tom, I really have to make a suggestion to you. You need to wear better fitting jackets. Holy cow. <laughs> and that was the story. And I was like, that doesn't. Yeah. Uh, I was like you're covering stories on Dow Chemical or you know things that 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 can maybe lead to lawsuits nobody's you know nobody's mm-hmm. controlling any of that it, I mean obviously they have their own uh careful vetting but what I'm saying is nobody's telling them not to cover a story because it's too right. inflammatory or something yeah
3: So but uh, then so then in the news you'll see more influence from the government the Russian government but on the other channels I mean on the other Uh, offers, they, they just, they let them kind of have free reign. And, and which is, which is amazing. I mean, in in your article, you talk about the fact that they, they almost worry a lot less. Tom Hartman worries a lot less about what he says simply because he doesn't have to worry about, you know, the, the, the money backers from these corporate America interests pushing on him.
0: Well, you know, so Tabitha Wallace, who is one of the, um, uh, featured hosts of the show Watching the Hawks, who works with Tyrell Ventura, Jesse Ventura's son, and Sean Stone, Oliver Stone's son. Uh, Tabitha told me she uh, re- she used to work for news for one of the you know big three, uh, mm. and she told me that when she would get to work in the morning, she would get a list of the stories that were going to be covered. You know, yeah. there were maybe ten stories. These are the stories we're following today. She said, you know. However you slice it, that feels like a lot of control right. and not a lot of opportunity to, to just follow something that seems like an important story. So one of the first big stories she did was covering you know, a moment um, when vets come out to the National Mall and you know, you know, celebrate their experiences as vets, but also talk about their rights, something that she had never seen covered in the mainstream media. And so you know, what's interesting is that there's a lot of progressives. You know, from the kind of political spectrum, things on RT, but there's also conservatives like Jesse Ventura. So it isn't that it's just one political spectrum, but it is definitely stories that you don't see another Mm -hmm. venue.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess in a way for uh, for Vladimir Putin, why not, you know, go beat up more people uh, using Russian television in America? Even if even if you're still going to get the other agencies focusing on Russia's problems, this, this allows at least information to some people. And there are audiences apparently, millennials, for example, that are picking up on this. Talk about the audiences. Who's drawn to watch Russian television?
0: Well, you know, that's a great question and one of the things that I couldn't really get an answer to. So one of the reasons why is- – Because Nielsen, there's no Nielsen ratings for RT America. So I couldn't get Hmm. independent data. I could only get information from RT, which, you know, I I can't use that. Right. Um, So I can look at things like how many times something is viewed on YouTube that doesn't tell me anything about demographics. So I don't have good answers for that other than the fact that it appears to me from sort of anecdotal uh, experience that, yes, it is. It's younger people, but, again, it's also sort of people who consider themselves independent thinkers, Mm. right? Yeah. And and as you pointed out, I mean, one of the weirdest parts of this story, right, is that if you go back and think about sort of Cold War propaganda, culture wars between the U.S. and Russia and, and the Soviet Union, right, there were some really interesting, cool stories that come out of that, like the U.S. funding, uh, you know, secretly funding art shows in Europe, you know, <laughs> promote stuff. People didn't know that basically it was CIA funded. You know, all the right, sort of right. stories. But at the end of the day, what Russia wants to do is actually be a source of credible news, right? Be a source of credible alternative information. To them, that's sort of winning and the bigger picture of looking at what's happening to our U.S. news media, right? So if you watch CNN now, which we used to always think of as sort of the neutral station, You right. have somebody like John King literally referring to what he calls the magic wall <laughs> when he's, you know, breaking right. down say, sort of how districts vote. But the it is magic. It's embarrassing, right? Yeah. I mean, it just makes us look really uneducated. So if RT America can suddenly offer you know, sort of a perspective on things that is smart and edgy, I mean, that's really Russia winning sort of the bigger thing, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's their investment. I think that's why they, I mean, Al Jazeera was sort of, that was sort of their goal too, kind of a different view. Um, Al Jazeera made some mistakes because they spent, they had a completely different spending model. That was one of the reasons why that channel didn't make it. They, they had like lavish sort of, you know, uh, uh, budgets for what people could wear on set, et cetera, etc. So, well, plus
3: they bought you know, so Al Gore's television or radio show, a t- radio station, didn't they?
0: What's that? Didn't
3: they buy Al Gore's Radio America station?
0: Um, I don't. I remember thought Al Jazeera could, had purchased that. Yeah, I think that. I mean, that may well be true. I'm not sure. Oh, was his they, TV did, network? They yeah. Some, yeah, they did some some sort of not great fiscal decisions, so that had something to do with why they didn't make
3: it. But here, I guess this is uh, this is a very telling thing, and it came up in your article. I mean, John Stewart is known as America's most trusted journalist, right? right. And his show, The Daily Show, was on Comedy Central, right? Right. And so why wouldn't Russia think, man, all we got to do is get on America airwaves and get one really good show that everyone wants to watch?
0: absolutely i mean you know and i think i think that it depends on how you know sort of you know your age
3: yeah cynical yeah
0: sort of your politics whether or not that really stresses you out right? right 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 so for some people the concept that we could actually be getting any information from a play, from a source that was paid for by the russian state is just <laughs> super stressful oh yeah and believe me when i was working on this article and i was talking to people they they said, oh, you know, that can't be right. It has to be all bad. And it turns out, of course, that it's not all bad, and there is some really good programming coming out. And so, again, a lot of it depends on whether your your mindset is stuck in that, you know, sort of everything that Russia does is dangerous and frightening, right?
3: Yeah. Um, oh, My grandparents would die.
0: Right, right, absolutely. You know, my, I mean, I couldn't talk about this with my mother. She wouldn't even understand it. So the thing is, is that is that the, what we're seeing, though, is a completely new sort of news media landscape. And as you point out, millennials, you know, they tend to get their news from, say, they cover, we know they cover maybe four or five um, major stories at a given time, but they they also have a tendency to get more than one source of information on each story. So what we know from sort of age groups is that, older sort of boomer, silent generations, they have their one go-to, like one print yeah. and one...
3: CBS business, like News. Right, exactly. Right.
0: And that's what they do. And that's their pattern. Whereas the millennials, they're they're following stories. They're, they're reading something in Politico. They're reading something in HuffPost. They're seeing something on Salon and they're watching here and there. And that's how they consume. They don't get their news from one source. And that's a great thing for RT America. They want that. You know, right. they, they, it, it will be valuable to them to have their stories compared against what's happened, you know, how it's being covered elsewhere. You know, Lee Camp, who does the satire show, has been covering a lot of election fraud stuff that we're not seeing. And he's doing it, you know, sort of in a classic John Stewart way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there are if you start watching that and you think, oh, that's interesting, then you'll go look for it in other venues, and that's
3: what they want. Yeah, and, and I mean, I guess, too, we we have enough sources, and it seems like it's fitting our mentality today. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Sophia McLennan, who is uh, – she's a professor of international affairs and comparative literature at Penn State University. She also is the director of Penn State's Center for Global Studies. We're going to take a break, come back, continue discussing her article about can Russian-funded cable networks actually promote free press in the United States. Uh, It looks like it's happening, folks. And um, like it or not, uh, it's out there. And and we'll come back and and do some comparatives on some of the other uh, cable network stations as far as what they're putting out and uh, the credibility of, of their work as well. Stick with us, folks. More when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the line with us is Dr. Sophia McLennan. She is a professor of international affairs and comparative literature at Penn State University. Also is the author of the article we're discussing that was she put on up on the, the conversation.com. Can a Russian-funded cable network actually promote free press in the United States? And uh, it's an interesting discussion. Dr. Sophia McLennan, thank you again for being with us.
0: Oh, thanks
3: for having me. Hey, as I'm checking the headlines on RT.com, Russian, telev- Russian television dot com, um, listen to this headline. In If I go to the American headline, anti-Trump protesters confront police in Anaheim, California. If I go look at uh, Russian politics, Putin tops Russians trust ratings with 80 percent support. <laughs> it was, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but, but you make an incredibly uh, I think important point if you are maybe forty years or under you don't maybe you don't have that visceral ooh uh watch out for those Russians and their propaganda kind of you know you know pain in your head
0: well, you know you know we were talking earlier about millennials, and this is really sort of the generation that's going to start to shape our nation even more. And the thing about millennials that we also know from research is that they're fundamentally skeptical but also optimistic, which means that they're going to see that same headline you saw and go, right, I mean, that's just Russian propaganda, pro-Putin stuff. And then they're going to dig to the next piece, and then they're going to say, oh, but that piece, that seems smart. I'll read that and see what I think. So one of the big interesting differences between the ways millennials consume news and some of the older generations, is that their first instinct is to question it. And it may well be because they grew up in the era where their aunt was sending them an email saying, if you drink red, you are going to pop out. <laughs>
7: exactly. Right? right. Right.
0: So they grew up in a generation, and of course, those of us who sort of teach them or have them work for us don't like to always be questioned, right? Yeah. But it turns out that that's their first instinct, just to say, really? I don't know. Why? Right? And um, that's great for news. It means that they sort of have a filter where they will immediately question if they think something doesn't resonate with their view of the world. And then they will, you know, either they'll discard it, like in the case of the Putin piece, or if it's another news item, they'll check it against right. something else.
3: This is the first generation, really, that has been completely raised on this on media and, and on this level of Web access and Web information. This they're they're probably more used to sifting and dismissing and not believing and almost staying neutral than than we ever could have been 30 years ago.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, you can think of it as the wiki generation, which yeah. means that they read it and then they go, mm, I don't know, right? Because they have to because they don't want to be embarrassed because they said, oh, it turns out that elephants are – you know, not going extinct, and, and that's not correct, right? right? So they tend to check everything that they promote as an idea in more than one place, and that turns out to be very, very good news for us in terms of how they consume news and then how they become sort of uh, young citizens.
3: It, um, it also seems like they, they don't trust institutions. I know that's one of the things about millennials is they tend to not buy into the institution's naturally or inherently and so i mean that that probably creates some some checking of of all data anyway right to see what's oh, yeah. true
0: <laughs> i'm a professor
3: <laughs> you understand that
0: <laughs> they they question everything and and now like i said i mean sometimes it can be quite frustrating but overall as a tendency it's a great mm-hmm. tendency for a generation and it's easy for folks that are older you know um There's some great research on generational distinctions, and older generations are characterized as what we call duty-bound citizens, which means that they they have loyalty to institutions. And millennials don't. They absolutely do not. They have loyalty to truth, and they have a a real sense that they have an obligation to make the world better also. So they are not looking to the institution to do it for them. So it's a very different sort of... uh, landscape, uh, but one which I think is, in fact, quite exciting, especially in an election year.
3: Well, you have a really, I think, interesting background as well, having authored uh, the book uh, Colbert's uh, Colbert's America, Satire and Democracy. What is going on with this satire TV approach that has become so popular?
0: Oh, well, I mean, you know, we've sort of touched on some of it. One of the things that happened was that our own news media in the United States just consistently dropped the ball, and it was really obvious after 9-11, right? Right. So folks became very jaded, and it was the satirists who were able to sort of ask questions, and, you know, comedy lets you ask questions and get away with it. You'll remember that after 9-11, you know, journalists lost their jobs, professors Mm -hmm. lost their jobs if they asked the wrong questions, And the comedians could kind of do it and get away with it. And so that opened a gap, and then the gap got bigger and bigger and bigger as we went sort of, you know, down the road. And even during the Obama administration, when folks thought that the satirists would go away, they had plenty to do because we had things like the government shutdown to cover, (laughs) you know, that weren't being covered in the mainstream news media. I mean, you see it today. I mean, the mainstream news media tends to kind of get, sort of a headline, and then hype it up, make it sensational, make it silly, uh, maybe <laughs> make it scary. Right. And that doesn't inform the public. It actually makes them emotional, and it's not good for how we think about things. So it turns out that the satirists, who should have been about emotion and laughing and, you know, entertainment, were the source of greater and greater news. So now we have John Oliver. Oh, yeah. week covering things that are simply not being covered. He did a fabulous piece on net neutrality. Yeah. really had big impact. He did a piece on um, the way in which some of the evangelical churches are avoiding taxes and that, yeah, uh, you know, sort of using scams. That was a big, you know, very big piece. And he did a really fun one on Donald Trump where he traces back and finds <laughs> his, his ancestors Ex- were named Trump, right? <laughs>
3: exactly. I love that one. Yeah. He's but
0: none of that was coming out of news.
3: No. Well, and, um, and he can keep just kind of beating the drum. And I think what it does is if, if the regular kind of mainstream media hypes everything up and stresses everybody out, then the satire media shows make, help everyone relax.
0: Right, and that, you know, again, in my research, that that idea, what you just said there, stresses everybody out, right? Because the idea that the comedians are somehow carrying that weight, the comedians, of course, don't even want to carry that weight, uh, and it makes everybody think that we're in great decline. But my big way of reassuring reassuring people is that it turns out that historically, satire emerges in moments of crisis, right? It Hmm. comes out all the time in moments when... There is serious crisis and a lot of uh, misinformation in the public sphere. And so the good news is this is, a, you know, a natural cycle. The American Revolution would have never happened without satire, some people think, mm, right? Right. Um, remember Ben Franklin and the work he did. Uh, so there's a long history of where sort of satire provides kind of a good, healthy adjustment in public discourse.
3: When you uh, were wrapping up your article in the conversation, you dot com, you cited a PolitiFact um, study about the most uh, watched cable news networks. And you basically the data shows that Fox News, according to PolitiFact, uh, lies about 60 percent of the time. They have a biased position or whatever i guess a lie about 60% of the time nbc and msnbc score is is a little better at only 46% of the time so i guess part of your point is you know if if russia television or rt america is biased okay but so are all of the other or the big 3
0: Absolutely. And the other piece of it is that those stations, you know, the ones that we think of as more neutral, their bias is often corporate influences.
7: Mm -hmm.
0: Right. So we don't somehow in the United States, we don't find it as disturbing to think that, say, um, GE is exercising power over our news. But we think it's absolutely outrageous that Putin would be planting pro-Putin stories <laughs> right, in the media, right, right? Right. But it turns out that in, if you track it, and you know, your listeners, if they're interested, should check out. Amy Goodman has a really good book on uh, sort of the influences of corpor- corporate corporations in the news. And, I mean, she tracks it down and looks at, like uh, – corporations literally paying for news items. Mm. And, you know, this is just available information to the U.S. public. And and yet we sort of like the idea that our news is more free than than anyone else's.
3: Yeah. In the end, though, you're I guess you tell me uh, R.T. America, Russian backed and paid for uh, news organization in the United States on cable news. It's good for America.
0: I think so, absolutely. I think it's good for America but I, I wouldn't want it to be the only source of news. Yeah, what right? if yeah,
3: if I mean if everything got down to just them, we'd be in trouble.
0: Well, absolutely. If it were down to any single one of our sources we'd be in trouble. That's right. I think it offers a. if you like to watch uh you know, a lot of us are I, I mostly consume my news reading it, right? right? So if you're somebody who wants to watch and, and get some stories um, it turns out that, for instance, I use RT Clips a lot in my teaching because they're, say, covering some issue that's happening in Europe or whatever. And the way they're doing it is very useful and it's it's informative. So they have lots of great, you know, standard news to check out. Ignore the stuff that whenever Russia's mentioned, I wouldn't, yeah. you know, I'd take that all with a grain take of salt.
3: Take it with a grain of salt. exactly. And, and when you read their opinions, uh, the the opinion columns, be careful. Because, Absolutely. You know, but,
0: yeah, but opinions are opinions, right. They so, are opinions. Uh, but it it offers a very valuable sort of piece of the landscape. And that's what we really need with news is a lot of good, you know, informative choices.
3: I love it. Well, Dr. Sophia McLennan, thanks for being with us. Great insight in the article and a, and a wonderful discussion. Thank you.
0: Uh, thanks for having me.
3: You bet. Take care. Isn't that true? I mean, it's just another view. But, I mean... You go listen to any cable station. uh, You're going to have a lot of questions. Like, why are they really referring to the magic board? That's a good point. There's no magic in the board. It's just technology, folks. Why, uh, Why is Hillary Clinton so demonized on one and Donald Trump so demonized on another? Well, that might make sense, but it's interesting. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. Continue the discussion. Another headline uh, coming up soon. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. So today, in a few uh, hours, I get to go to my son's fifth grade class and talk about uh, – Being a good community citizen, being a member of the community and a a good citizen for his national pride day. And it's such an interesting follow up on our our last discussion. So we have the right and the freedom of uh, press, the freedom of speech. And it's interesting. I'm not sure that we fight for it like we used to. Uh, Back in the day, we were we were terrified terrified of Russian propaganda. We knew that they were misinforming and spreading misinformation as, by the way, we were with them, right? So depending on your generation, you're terrified by the idea that Russia could have a state-backed media source that our youth are reading and learning about. Um, But we also can't underestimate the the strength of our our youth and how they have been raised, multi-sourcing and uh, reading information from a a variety of different places. My kids don't just go turn on Fox News. My adult kids don't go to Fox News. They don't go to MSNBC as their only source of news. They have other feeds that they're that they're watching, that they're reading. They have other three or four different news sources that they might be going to. So if Russian television is one of them, but they also understand the source, it's interesting. They might also find out that Russia might ask a few questions that would make us think about our, our country. By the way, I'd want them to think the exact same way. If they go to Fox News or if they listen to this show, what's the bias behind it? Is there a bias and does it resonate? Anyway, it's a, it's an interesting thing. You really got to watch out for fakery everywhere you go. According to a uh, UPI report, a website is now offering fake doctor's notes to help customers get out of work, school or other duties And it's offering a 100% refund guarantee. The website is called bestfakedoctorsnotes.net. We found it by – Ben brought it up to us uh, after he was sick a few uh, weeks ago for about three or four days. Um, He needed to turn in a note to HR and to Don and – he told us about this really great website.
1: No, not to be mistaken with fakedoctornotes.org. Yeah, completely different. Site. Don't go to yeah, that one.
3: And that's not as credible mm-hmm. as bestfakedoctornotes.net, which offers phony excuses purporting to be um, from healthcare providers, including general practitioners, dentists, gynecologists, oncologists, and other types of doctors. The site offers purported testimonials from supposed satisfied customers who use faux doctor notes to get out of work and school commitments. By the way, one thing, Ben, before next time you use this site, um, because like you brought us a doctor, a letter from your gynecologist, your OBGYN. And um, it anyway, that's how we knew it wasn't real. So next time, just know what kind of doctor is you're getting the note from. I just think it would be more realistic. Yeah, I, I didn't really think it mattered which, which doctor it I does. got it from. It, I mean, it, um, technically it does. Yeah. Yeah. And you might not want to get one like from an oncologist because then everyone would be be worried like you have cancer. Yeah. Right. So – But it would get me out of whatever
1: I needed to get out of.
3: Yeah. But then you'd have to explain. Yeah. Right. And then you don't – that would just prolong your lie. True. True. So this was great because we were able to catch your lie quickly.
1: Yeah. So just shorten the the lie. Yeah. And I'm good.
3: Well, or yeah. Shorten the lie. A quick – a fast-hitting lie.
1: Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. That's yeah. the most helpful
3: thing I've heard all day. So. Well, that's good. At least we help somebody today. <laughs> uh, we uh, got a lot coming up next hour. A good friend of mine and author of a new book, um, Authentic Strengths. Fatima Doman, will be joining us. We're talking about how to, to leverage your good strengths, your, the things that you do well, and how to take advantage of it in life. So, helping you live longer, love stronger, and uh, see the good in the world. Usually it comes from, you know, sourcing multiple sources. That's what we've learned this first hour. Stick with us. Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter. At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU
1: Radio. BYU Radio.
3: Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you, and happy National Paper Airplane Day. Today is the day we celebrate the paper airplane. Many an hour passed. Or a couple minutes, depending on how much thought you put into it. Man, you build a good paper airplane, though. You, back in the day, you were king of the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Look how far that went!
4: That guy is so cool. I think that's just what I do.
3: And then there's always the kid at the end of the row doing origami. Yeah, and his never flew. No, but he could make... But he was trying to fly like a swan or something. Yeah, but he'd do something incredible. And then all of a sudden, you're thinking, "Wow, that guy can fold." Anyway, got a great show for you coming up today. Do you do you know what your strengths are? If somebody just said, "Okay, I need to know your five top strengths," could you hammer them out? Exceptional personality.
4: Okay, so... High, high level of intellect. Yeah, you do have a high intellect. Personable. People just can't get enough of... Oh my god! Come on! What's going on?
3: You, are you talking about me? No, me. Uh, the thing is, we may not exactly know what our strengths are. So joining us in just a few moments, uh, actually, bottom of the hour, Fatima Doman will be with us talking about her new book, Authentic Strengths. She's going to teach us how to go figure out... What our strengths are, because the research would say you ought to work from your strength, not your weakness, right? Most of us try to just – we're constantly working on getting better. But if you're going to fix something, you you ought to fix it with a strength. So don't rely on my ability to speak French. Right. Okay. Weakness. Instead – but by the way, if you wanted to learn French, you'd want to use your English Hmm. as a strength to help you learn French. Okay.
1: So how does this
3: compare to, like, the Buddhist?
1: Like, understand your mess principle. Ooh,
3: yeah. That's a great... We just had that. That was a great thing. So, by the way, how would it is you'd understand your mess through your strength. So you understand your weakness by what you do well. What we try to do is we kind of overlook what we do well, and we always work on what our mess is. Does that make sense? But if I, I can use anything good about me to go understand the dark things i don't understand i use my light to get to dark hmm. i don't just go to dark we'll let fatima
8: explain i,
4: I sense that i can twist this some way to uh, benefit you <laughs> yes in, in in a way not necessarily uh, you know intended yeah. by the, the the book or whatever i you, think yeah. i can make this yeah, my just, own.
3: well so that might be one of your strengths is twisting stuff right but you you really want to in the end it's not really marketable though. you want to work from where you're strong Not always on what you're weak at. Does that make sense? That's – you're not supposed to end with the preposition, but I just did. Um, Anyway. It's something you need to work on. There's another one. (laughs) I did it again. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll get to that. And Fatima's book, Authentic Strengths, we'll also do a Coach's Corner. I'll be giving you just some of the latest uh, tips I've learned as a relationship coach. By the way, one of my strengths, not to brag. Mm. And we'll get to that as well, plus other headlines. But Terry, first, teach us what's going on around the rest of the country. Thanks, Matt.
4: Police in Anaheim, California arrested several protesters outside a Donald Trump rally Wednesday afternoon as they pelted officers with objects. After Trump left, several demonstrators lingered in the area, setting at least one trash can on fire. Supporters of Trump faced off against the protesters, And an Anaheim police spokesperson said the group of five backers were escorted away in the interest of public safety after they used racially charged language against the demonstrators. Another group of supporters chanted anti-gay slurs, the LA Times reports, and two men held up a sign calling for the end of Islam and abortion. Dozens of police officers, including some on horseback, were on the scene as well as the sheriff deputies in riot gear. When they pull out the horses, they mean business. No one's going to mess with a horse. I don't know. There's a woman that was arrested, I think, in Arizona, crossing the border. She punched a border patrol horse. (laughs) So, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Wow. Um, Cleveland Police Chief Calvin Williams insisted Wednesday that the city will be ready, whatever the Republican National Convention may bring, be it protesters or riots. A lot has been said about whether or not Cleveland is prepared for the RNC in about 50 days. All I have to tell you, we are prepared. I can't stress enough that we are prepared for this, he said. Sounds kind of desperate. Hmm. The city attorney, Richard Hofarth, announced temporary regulations for the area around the convention, including a ban on things you can bring. Here's your list. Okay. You cannot bring lumber to build things. Fireworks, explosives, they're not allowed. Drones, ice chests and coolers, or ladders are not allowed in the vicinity of the stadium where this is going to happen. Telescopes?
3: It doesn't say. Okay. I'm bringing my telescope.
4: Guns, noticeably Not explicitly banned from this event. Okay. Although Ohio is an open carry state, so I don't know if they can do that. The city also has a bid set for body armor, convention vans to (laughs) transport prisoners, 2,000 sets of riot gear, 10,000 sets of plastic handcuffs, night vision goggles, motorcycles, and a horse trailer. Wow. Because they're looking possibly to bring out
3: the horses. I bet the horses are coming if they've got a trailer. Because they mean business. This is a serious – this is an event. Definitely going to be an event. Definitely a thing. One person was shot
4: dead. Three others are wounded Wednesday night as gunfire rang out shortly before a T.I. concert at a Irving – T.I. is a rap. Okay. Rap performer, rap star, mm-hmm. rapper, if mm-hmm. you will. Uh, so at Irving Plaza concert venue in Manhattan. According to the NYPD representatives, at least four people shot just before the artist went on stage after 10 p.m. One 33-year-old victim died from his wounds, two other men and one woman were hospitalized. At least one of the injured victims remain in critical condition. Multiple witnesses say a scuffle on the venue's VIP balcony preceded the shooting. The New York Daily News reports the disruption was between two crews associated with rival rappers. Wow. Officials have not cooperated. The altercation was the result of the gunfire.
3: That sounds yeah.
4: That's a rap concert. That is a rap concert. <laughs> All the stereotypes. Are there? (laughs) And this finally, Canuck, a Vancouver's most notorious crow. It's not hard to see why. After cops in the Canadian city shot and injured a man who confronted them with a knife on Tuesday, a crow believed to be Canuck, because of a distinctive red band on his leg and countless similar escapades in the past, took off with the weapon from the crime scene. (laughs) Police say the crow picked up the knife from behind police Uh -uh. tape, only dropped it after he'd been chased around for about 20 feet or so, Facebook page dedicated to Canuck chronicles earlier incidences including a ride on mass transit and attacking
3: cyclists. The Canuck Crow In Vancouver. Just is now he's an a, accessory to a crime. He's a troublemaker. Holy cow. I thought we lived in the United States and you could bring anything you wanted anywhere. Come on. I thought this was a free free country. No lumber. No ladder at the Republican National Convention. Uh, You got a ladder there? Well, I was just bringing a ladder for my friend. (laughs) I think you have a ladder in your shirt. He's a very short in stature man and needed the ladder to be able to see over the crowd. Well, okay, what's the two by four for? (laughs) Don't ask questions. Hey, if you're going to go to the voting booth in West Virginia. 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 There we go. West Virginia, then uh, you got to be careful because you can't take a selfie in the voters booth. You can't take (laughs) – when Ben goes, he does a whole photo shoot. (laughs) He brings a 35 millimeter. He brings a ladder and some fans and then he just starts blowing his hair and taking pictures as he's – casting his vote it's,
1: you it's, can't get better light than in a voting
3: oh voting that's booth. so it's, true
4: it's glamour shots that's it's, what he gets <laughs> glamour shots in the photo
3: booth excuse me ma'am can i have you turn my fan on for me just yeah just point it i brought some you. props if you I want three <laughs> outfits feathered boa yeah <laughs> i'm gonna need to uh halfway through my ballot i'm gonna need to change my wardrobe and then it's no big deal you just go change come on back uh, gladys will hold your place in line <laughs> If you want to share your voting experience on social media, you are not allowed in the voting booth to take pictures, right? Because you don't want to look like you're trying to get people to pay for your vote, right? And if I say, look, I'm voting for Obama, he won't be on the ballot. But if I was voting for Trump, then I could go out and he'd write me a $1,000 check. They're worried that you're getting paid for your vote and that would prove that you voted for this person. Okay. Anyway, it's against the law. Yeah. It, I, it's actually in several states that have done this. By the way, punishable up by up to a year in jail and a $1,000 fine. Plus, they will confiscate your gear, your ladder, your fan, your boa. Your lumber. Your lumber, if you're packing lumber. Yeah. Wow. makes sense? So we're here to inform you, making sure none of you go to jail. No selfies.
4: Yeah. Just I, one. Why would you want to take a, a picture when you're in the
3: booth? By the way, why are you taking selfies anyway? I mean, you can do that later. Do it outside when you get your sticker. I voted. Did you not hear about the Disney roller coaster rider that? Oh, oh you guys! It was just a matter of time. Put your selfie sticks away. Right. Wait. Why pay for a photo uh, by of yourself from the ride California Screaming? If you've ever been on it, they're they're taking pictures all over now, and you can buy the picture of you screaming and the person next to you, you know, freaking out. But why do that? Why would I buy their picture when I can just take my own selfie? Uh, Well, that is apparently the logic of one of the visitors on Monday who forced the ride to close for two hours after pulling out a selfie stick that had been slipped past security. Selfie sticks were outlawed outlawed at all Disney parks last June after someone pulled one out on the same coaster. Um, No one was injured. But the minute you pull out basically – a telescopic golf club stick right. that would hold your camera. You, it's With you, a blunt object on the blunt end of it. O- you could decapitate somebody. We you could were, impale somebody.
4: Several – was it two, two years ago? Two and a half years ago, my wife and I and my kid went to Disneyland. We're mm. on the Flying Dumbo ride. Oh, yeah. And some guy in front of us just sticks out the selfie stick as they're flying around. I'm like, what are you doing? Dude,
3: <laughs> you could seriously take somebody – you could take somebody's head off and – the image would always be in the mind of a child that all I remember about my childhood was Dumbo and a decapitation. Selfie stick. <laughs> be careful, folks. All for what? To take a picture of your ugly mug. There you go. Hmm. In other news. Yeah. Peter Thiel.
4: You ever Oop. heard of him? Oh,
3: yeah. This is uh... –
4: He's a Silicon Valley investor. He's reported to have been backing Hulk Hogan's financially financially in his lawsuit against Gawker Media. He revealed that he – it was the r- rumor that he was and he re- uh, revealed yesterday in the New York Times that he in fact is doing this. He is a co-founder of PayPal, a delegate in, the, in California for Donald Trump. Wow. Claiming that he wants to bring uh, Gawker Media down because the gossip website outed him as gay years ago. So kind of a retaliate, you know, he's retaliating oh, against Gawker. Retaliating. Uh Teal, the Times reports, has been secretly funding various lawsuits against Gawker for several years aimed at crippling the media company's finances. He says it's less about revenge and more about specific deterrence. Hmm. So there's now this big discussion going on about the ability of a billionaire to shut down a media entity with a lawsuit because he disagrees with
3: their coverage. Well, what about the ability of a media empire to shut down the life of an individual? Right, because they have the power. This seems to the Gawker seems to now, have picked the worst fight. They they have. Gawker's done this several times where they
4: find out a secret, whatever yeah. it is, and they feel it's their responsibility to report.
3: Is that where Donald Trump got the, the idea that you could just out something? Like his hair. Yeah. They did the story yesterday. Did Gawker do his hair?
4: They, Gawker Media did the story about where Donald Trump gets his hair from. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're, they're, and, this, and now this delegate and of Trump is – You only do that because you're trying to make him look bad, right? There's no yeah. reason to do that. Yeah, he's got weird hair, who cares? But you do a story like that and and they they'll justify it and this and that, but in the end you're just trying to make Donald Trump look foolish.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: So you do this whole in-depth reporting and all this records finding stuff trying to just make him look foolish. Yeah. And in the so this guy's going after Gawker Media and he's funded he says he says it's a um, In the interview in the New York Times, he says his legal campaign, of which a $10 million investment on lawyers managed to bring an entire media company on the brink of disaster. The Hulk Hogan lawsuit, the judge ruled in favor of Hogan, the pro wrestler, on the tune of $140 million that Gawker Media does not have. Wow. That yesterday they tried to appeal it, and uh, the same judge is like, no, you need to pay it. So they're waiting on... They they tried to get a, a, a... the the um, the awarded amount reduced. That, yeah. that's what happened yesterday. There's an appeal still in the works, but they tried to get the amount reduced. Well, the but now there's going to be a lawsuit about Donald's hair. Possibly, these things happen. But uh, Peter Thiel calls this. Uh, he was one of my greatest philanthropic things I've ever done. Wow. So now the question is: Is what is this? Is this free speech? Sure. Are you trying to limit
3: the free media? No. The media has a responsibility. Is this? And this is all. I mean, if they if they if they lost in the case against Hulk, yeah, they lost. Now pay up, right? You have the right, and you have the air. You have the access to these people to spread these rumors. Now they better be real, or you're going to pay well, 140 million. They're real. They're
4: also defamatory.
3: Right. Well, you can't. And so then you can't. Yeah, you can't do that. That's like that's part of being a responsible press. <sighs> yeah, so you you have freedom and he, of speech. He has for, the right yeah. to. This is his
4: greatest you know, success
3: he, in life. That seems sad.
4: Yeah, well, he's 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 being sarcastic. Okay, I think. good. But just the idea that yeah. one individual tosses a bunch of money and
3: just makes a whole entity go away. Sad. Well, remember, he's not making them go away. The whoever pr- produced a def- defacing. What was the what was the term? The a, a, defamatory. A, well, a story that wasn't. I well, the,
1: guess,
3: the, I mean, the story was true. Well, true, but but he, they wouldn't win a lawsuit for telling a true story. It's it's defamatory. It's personal. You're you're going. Yeah, you can tell personal stories. Yeah. You just, but it it must. So there must be more to the story that wasn't. So his story. So maybe it, obtained illegally, found right, out right. some way. With the Hulk Hogan
4: stuff and several yeah. other cases, right. but it's just interesting that. The case wouldn't be able to go forward, right. Unless it's this other guy—just a little money—who's a backer, an- who's angered, puts ten million dollars into the fund to yeah. back these cases. It just seems sort of devious the way he goes yeah. around it. But then it's like, what's free speech? What's oh, freedom of press?
3: Let's see, this is what I'm going to talk to my on. fifth grade class about today. Well, don't talk about this. You got to not that one, but you got to be a good community <laughs> citizen. Yeah, there's responsibilities. I, I, I you got to let things go at times. Peter Thiel was guilty of
4: looking like a jerk, but I think he's also there's there's some
3: revenge there oh yeah this is and it's
4: like gawkers just bringing this on themselves by covering Mm -hmm. these types of stories and they just don't have the money to defend themselves they
3: just you know they just woke the dragon up you don't don't ever don't poke the the dragon noted (laughs) okay noted mental note we'll take a break folks when we come back we'll do a little coach's corner Uh, i'll give you some of the latest and greatest lessons from a relationship coach about your marriage about relationships Just a few truths I've learned over the years. Stick with us, folks. Talking relationships up next. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, one of the goals uh, as we put the show together is we wanted to be able to help you have healthier, happier relationships. And my background is uh, originally working and coaching couples, teaching them how to get through some of the more difficult times. And in doing that, I've learned a few, you know, rules, a few lessons here and there. And I wanted to just run through a few of them right now with you, as as you know, you're you're probably going to have a long Memorial Day weekend. You're going to have the opportunity to spend a lot of time with the people you love. Here's a few rules for you. One rule to remember about relationships. Um, You, this is going to hurt. You're going to hate it. You, you, the listener, you are always your biggest problem when it comes to the relationship. Well, no, Matt, because, uh, you know, it's my wife. She drives me crazy. She doesn't understand me. She doesn't love me the way I want to be loved. The The problem is, folks, as humans, we tend to fixate and believe that the problems are always outside of us. The problems are the things we see, the things my spouse does. And the minute I start projecting that my spouse is my problem, that very thought is the problem. Well, that's just a bunch of gobbledygook. no. Because if I keep seeing that my wife is my problem, then I need to see it differently. If I keep thinking I have no power with my wife, then I need to think that through differently. If I keep feeling like I can't do it anymore and I'm exhausted by it, then I need to work on my feelings. If I keep acting you know, angry toward my spouse, then I need to handle my actions. Well, no, but Matt, the only reason I'm acting that way is because my wife keeps doing things that makes make me mad. Well, then you need to figure out how you can see or think or feel or do something different. Well, why is it always up to me? Because you're the one that's miserable. Well, I'm only miserable because no. And why I say you need to make you your focus of attention is because your problems aren't going to change if you don't change. You can change everyone in the world and you'll still have similar problems if you keep thinking the same way, feeling the same way and acting the same way. The other reason we work on ourselves is because we can't get everyone else to do what we want them to do. Make sense? I can't get my wife to just change. I don't have control to get her to change. I have 100% control to get me to change. If I change, I can feel something different. Remember, the rules are basically how we think determines how we feel. How we feel determines what we do. What we do determines what we're becoming. If you don't like what your marriage is becoming, then think something different. Feel something different. Do something different. Thinking, feeling, doing, becoming. That's how we live life. By the way, every one of those are in your wheelhouse. Every one of those, you can do something about. One other rule for you, there are no universal expectations. There are no universal expectations. Simply put, when you can't assume someone around you should do something, you can't just expect it. You can't just expect that your spouse is going to go to work and make a living. You can't just expect that your spouse is going to help you clean up the house in an equal, equitable way. You can't expect it. Well, you should be able to. I mean, we both made the mess, sure. And why I bring this up is a lot of us are so frustrated by our spouses simply because we expect them to do things. And we even expect it because nine out of ten people do it. But because 9 out of 10 people clean up their house doesn't mean your spouse does. He might be the anomaly. He might be the special one. So we can't expect something to happen. And as long as I expect it and it doesn't happen, that's going to cause me pain. So one of the fastest ways I've ever found to get rid of your pain is to manage your expectation. If for 15 years your spouse has gone to work every day and made a great living, then they – broke their back in an accident, everything on earth is going to change now. And if you don't change what you expect, then you're going to suffer pain. You can expect that they would recover, but they may not. You can expect that they would not be in pain the whole time, but they may be. You can expect that they they would not get into drugs and opiate use because of their back pain, but they might. You can expect whatever you want, but if it's not jiving with reality, so all I say is manage your expectation by reality, not by ideal. Don't expect what should be ideal. Expect what is real. See what you're seeing, what your partner is bringing, and be real about what they're bringing to the game. Make sense? Focus on the real expectation. If your partner has never put their towel up after showering in their life, I wouldn't expect it. Even if you've asked them 50 times to do it, don't expect it. Now, you can either put the towel up for them or leave it in a heap on the floor. It's your call. But don't expect it to happen. Anyway, crazy, crazy little world we live in, especially when it comes to relationships. We'll take a break. When we come back, folks, we're going to continue the discussion about strengths and uh, talk more about how to create change with Fatima Doman. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend show. Man, honored to have my next guest uh, with this a good friend of mine, Fatima Doman, will be joining us. She is uh, a coach, an author, and CEO of Authentic Strengths Advantage. She she's gonna be talking to us about our authentic strength. So think about it, folks. Do you know what your strengths are? What makes you special? What makes you different? What are your, your, your unique gifts, your abilities, your strengths that you can bring to any, any situation at work or at home? She's going to be walking us through uh, what we can do there. Fatima has spent many years in the co- executive coaching world. She's also worked with me at Franklin Covey as well and is an incredible person and an incredible coach. Fatima Doman, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
5: It's a pleasure to be here, Matt.
3: Honored to it's have you. To you did the book. You got it done, Authentic Strengths. It's done! Yeah. Yay! Now finally! You can, you've been teaching it for years, and now you can change the world with it. Talk about, um, talk about what you mean by an authentic strength.
5: Right. So all of the strengths that are measured in this book, and they originate from positive psychology, and uh, the distinction is that they bless your life and the lives of others. So these are strengths that energize you, that kind of describe your best self and you've probably had people say to you before comment on seeing these strengths exhibited in you. Uh for example, someone who's just kind of a natural born leader may have had people say to them, "You know what? You're great at leading groups of people hmm. or you're, you know, you can really take charge." Um, so it's when you see the list of strengths, when you when you take the survey, the free survey on my website and you get your free report, you may not be surprised when you see some of your top strengths.
3: It's, I mean, Part of it is kind of intuitive, right? In your heart, you've known you had this strength. You may not have known it or seen it as a strength.
5: Right, and now you have language for it. You have a word for it. So, you know, maybe you're an extremely fair person, or maybe you're a very honest person, or maybe kindness is one of your top strengths, or zest. So when you see it in this report, you go, yeah, you know, I recognize that, and I understand how I've used that in the past. And the important thing is to understand how to leverage your strengths going forward because the research shows that people who use their strengths are more resilient. They get sick less often, actually, (laughs) and uh, they report higher levels of happiness, fulfillment, higher engagement at work, and, of course, greater energy.
3: I mean, if I, for example, if I know I'm an honest person and – I have figured out that it really is, it's an, it's an intuitive thing for me. I, um, I, I kind of default to it naturally. You're telling me knowing that can help me in my business?
5: Yes, it can. Because when you understand your top strengths, you can intentionally bring them forward because they give you energy. Our top, when we use our top strengths, they, they actually help us to perform better. So you can get creative and find ways to infuse your top strengths into your work. For example, one of my top strengths is social intelligence. So I know that I need to be around people in order to do my best work. Hmm. And actually writing my book and sequestering myself for so long was a challenge for me. Um, and that really caused me to draw on my strength of prudence, which is lower down on my list. (laughs) It's not one of my top strengths. Right. So prudence, you know, crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's, um, doing detailed work like writing a book. Um, But we can use those lower strengths. We call them lesser strengths. And we also call them situational strengths. So we can bring them forth for situations when they're needed, but they're not as energizing for us.
3: So, I mean, the idea would be then take your social intelligence, which is a high strength, and uh, use your social intelligence to help you go get prudence done. Yes.
5: Yes. So when you can combine strengths, when you can combine one of your top strengths that's very energizing with the strength that you need in the moment, like what I did with Prudence, yeah. um, you, then you can get through those challenging situations where you really need to use a lesser strength. And, and I did that. You know, I interviewed a lot of people for my book, and I made it more of a social interaction whenever possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helped me
3: that that it really is it's the model and i guess if somebody's out there and as they're listening if they feel like they they can't stand their job they feel like they're trapped they've got 12 more years till they can retire they're probably not operating from their strength they're probably stuck doing a bunch of things that they're just not now it doesn't mean they couldn't engage their strengths but they need to know what they are and then bring those to their job and it would probably change their job wouldn't it
5: Absolutely. As a matter of fact, we have a new report that's called an Employee Role Matching Report, and it gives employees and their supervisors an opportunity to sit together and match their strengths to their work roles and get creative, because we know that there are seven key work roles and, like, idea generation and, and like, an energy role that's kind of the relationships role. So there are seven of them. And if you can understand how your strengths map to those work roles and which work roles are most demanded of you in your current position, then you can get creative and bring your strengths more often. And we know that people who do that give their best work.
3: this I mean, there is a lot of... Uh research backing this. I know you did a lot of programs with um, with Columbia University's coaching program, and talk about uh, the positive psychology of this. I mean, it's, it, a lot of us don't spend our time knowing our strengths and working from strength. It seems like a lot of us spend our time trying to to fix where we're broken.
5: Right. So there's a chapter in my book that's called Move from What's Wrong to What's Strong, and that's what it's all about. So we know from the research, and there have been over 200 global research studies, and they all conclude the same thing, that people are much more motivated when they focus on their strengths what's strong instead of trying to correct their weaknesses, what's wrong. And so why not, why not learn to, um, to flourish? We can learn happiness skills. We can learn flourishing skills. Um, so positive psychologists, They wanted to break from the old psychology, which was a a focus on the disease model. And you probably heard of the famous DSM. It's their catalog of mental disorders that measures things like anxiety and depression. But now we know that we can measure our character strengths, things like hope, perseverance, leadership, and love, in as precise and reliable of ways as we measure anxiety and depression.
3: Hmm. And then all of a sudden use the character strengths, I mean, I would bet there's a correlation between a lack of understanding our character strengths and maybe some of our anxiety and depression and other disorders.
5: Yes, absolutely. So we can leverage those strengths. So as positive psychologists and as as a positive psychology coach, what I do is I work with people and I help them to come to understand, okay, what is it? that they want to create in their lives first, and then which of their strengths will, are best suited to achieving the goals that they've set for themselves. And then also, I help them to pattern after other people who have flourished in those areas. Hmm. So we study what works instead of focusing on what doesn't work.
3: Yeah, no, that's... That's the new model. That's positive psychology. I mean, we used to focus on abnormal psychology. We would go, instead of looking for what healthy people that saw themselves and felt healthy were doing, we'd go focus on the ones that were declaring how unhappy and miserable they were. And we would just go study why they're, why they're broken.
5: Right. So it's, it's truly the psychology for the 21st century. Positive psychology yeah. is. And I'm so excited to be part of this movement.
3: The book is an interesting thing. Authentic strengths, Fatima. Let's take a break. Come back. I want to talk more about um, how we how we assess it because I have people that don't even think they have strengths. I know people that well because I can't play an instrument and I never played baseball growing up, and they they wonder if they have strength. But you're talking about character strengths. Uh, Which are super important. More with Fatima Doman and her book Authentic Strength. So when we come back, folks, stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and uh, lead healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. Get ready for an exciting. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Dr. Matt here, and we're talking with Fatima Doman, the author of the book Authentic Strengths. And you can go to the website, AuthenticStrengths.com, where you can find out uh, and, and take uh, some of her surveys about how to figure out what what are your strengths, your, your kind of guiding character strengths. Um, it's, a, it's a powerful tool, and then she teaches us, and we're going to get into it right now. Uh, more with Fatima Doman. Fatima, thanks so much for being with us.
0: Delighted to be here. Thanks.
3: It's fun. Um, you, If we go to your website, AuthenticStrengths.com, you can go look up the 24 VIA character strengths. So this comes from, is it Marty Seligman's work?
5: It is. It's Marty Seligman's work. He is known as the father of positive psychology, and he founded the VIA Institute on Character, and VIA stands for Values in Action.
3: Yeah, and I, I've taken it myself. In fact, it's interesting. I think we're so much alike, and I think we knew that. Um, my number one uh, strength is social intelligence, spirituality, humor, and love of learning. Are I my love it? Those are my top four. The problem is, like one of my lowest is, um, and I can't I can't remember the exact name for it. It might be prudence. But it's um, – I thought it was called uh, – what's it called? Self-regulation. Um, re- self-regulation, yeah. Oh, no, it's down there. Yeah, self-regulation. It's my worst. So what I found in my life is the only way I get anything done is through relationships, humor, because <laughs> I haven't regulated it, and um, a belief and a faith that it can get done. And then I need people around me that help me regulate.
5: Right. And you, so you figured it out, and, and that's really key. I coached a woman, her her name is Allie, and I love her story. I, I just talked to her this week, and, and um, she was telling me that she has moved uh, one of her lowest strengths up quite high because um, she intentionally decided to build it. So originally her top two strengths were curiosity and love of learning, and so that caused her to start many projects. But then she'd get bored and she'd jump to the next Mm project and she'd never finish. And she realized after reading the book, she's like, oh, my gosh, perseverance is so far down the list. I could really use some perseverance in my life. So she intentionally worked on building it. And, you know, typically we say focus on your top strengths unless, of course, you're truly motivated to build one of your lesser strengths. Right. Right. She was. And you know what? She she brought it up really high. She now keeps a list on her desk of all of the projects that she accomplishes. And it's her celebration list. Hmm. And she told me just this week, she said, dang, I'm good at finishing.
3: <laughs> See, that's the key. And like this radio show for me is a place where I can go do what I like to do that I'm good at, love of learning but it helps me learn for example how to create more perseverance or more self-regulation and then i'll take one or two ideas from one of my experts that i just learned about and i'll just go implement one of their ideas so it's i guess the idea behind all of this is know what your strengths are and and have a clear view of them right and then 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 start working on the other ones that might be hindering you
5: Exactly. And I have a list of strengths building activities in my book. Um, and there's a coaching process that helps you to first explore your strengths and then to empower them with strengths motivation and then to engage them uh, with a weekly strengths process.
3: Hmm. And, and th- you're, this is different. The VIA program is about character strength, this isn't about, yeah, you know, I've got really good eye hand coordination. No. It's about, but you can use every character strength to strengthen any other gift or talent you have.
5: Absolutely. So what we like to say is that strengths elevate talent. So even if you, one of your talents is playing piano, if you infuse your strength, so I'm guessing that people who are really, really enraptured in playing piano, they're in flow in playing piano, they are probably connecting some of their character strengths To playing. So maybe they love the genre of music that they're playing, or maybe they're feeling like they're contributing to others when they play music. Um, They've connected that passion, that feeling that comes from their innate value system, their core, Hmm. into the playing, and that's what elevates the talent.
3: So so the powerful thing is, this is more about... um... This is going to get you better results in life because you're you're aligning yourself to work in the world better. I mean a lot of us are probably out of alignment, right? Because I'm in a job that I'm not even utilizing my character strengths in and I wonder why I am so disconnected from what I'm doing.
5: And you don't have to quit your job in order to get back into alignment. This creates an opportunity for a conversation with your boss um, or with yourself. And you can be proactive and make some changes immediately based on my coaching process. So we work not only with individuals, but we work with teams and we work with organizations. And there's a lot of great synergy that can come from that.
3: And it seems, too, you'd get confidence, right? Knowing yourself makes it so I don't need to... You call it, I think, comparanoia. Explain what comparanoia is.
5: Well, it's a trendy, made-up word, and you're starting to hear it more and more, I think. But it's when we feel like we just quite never measure up. We can always find someone to compare to that has something a little more, a little better than ourselves. So it's it's not a good road to start on. And um, actually... There's a video that we use in one of our workshops. It's called the Missing Tile Syndrome, and uh, it's, it's about, you know, focusing on a ceiling, and all you notice is one missing tile instead of all the tiles that are in place in the ceiling. Um, and it, it, it's actually human beings are wired for that. We're wired for error detection. We're wired for survival. But this is the 21st century. So now it's time to rewire to thrive instead of just to survive. And that's what positive psychology is all about.
3: Yeah, life's too... We've got too many opportunities today to just kind of slip by.
5: Yeah, to just focus on, on what's missing all the time. And, you know, you said before we went on break... Um, you mentioned, you know, some of us think we don't even have strength, right? and it reminded me of someone I coached. She was a very high-level executive in Europe, and uh, in our first meeting when the door closed, I was really surprised some of the things that she shared. She said sometimes in the morning she looks at herself in the mirror and yells at herself and says, you're so stupid, and things like that. Uh, so in the coaching, she came to understand that that negative self talk, and she was even verbalizing it in the mirror hmm. to herself. That that was really holding her back. So it's it's a big shift. I call it the positive shift. Yeah. For for people to recognize what their strengths are, it can be the 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 switch that gets flipped that really changes the
0: trajectory of your life.
3: Hmm. And, and and it yeah, and it, and it reboots you it can reboot you moment by moment because it has with me just knowing i didn't know i didn't know my character strengths but i did right so i had never taken the an assessment i had never figured out what they were but i knew i liked people i knew i loved learning i knew i had a spiritual side to me i knew humor was important to me and once and so i and then naturally isn't it weird i just kind of intuitively found a perfect job for me.
5: You did because of your passion. Yeah. Led you there. And what if more people got in touch with their passion and even more, what if they had the language to understand why they're passionate about certain things?
3: I mean, and you can be passionate about some of the other traits or things like fairness and humility. You would think that, you know, being a really humble person may not be a great business attribute, except it's, it could be incredible for you. Because you're the listener. You're the modest one.
5: Absolutely. And honestly, the people that I've done business with in the past, the ones who do have some humility are the ones I gravitate toward the most. I feel the most safe around them. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're not out to just, you know, further their own agenda. Uh, So there's a lot to be said about every one of these strengths. Each one is equally important.
3: And I can just see a, a boss having everyone assessed on their team, and what a great meeting to sit down and talk about everybody's strengths and then as a boss to know what your strengths are so I can utilize those and help you magnify them.
5: As a matter of fact, that's what we do. And it also helps teams to understand if there are some strengths missing. For example, I've worked with teams that are—they're—they're they're all trainers and consultants, and wow, they're really high on the list of social intelligence and um, and teamwork, and uh, you know, even love. I mean, they're really kind of feeling type of people that tend to go into that. But then. Um, They notice that really far down on their list is usually self-regulation and prudence because it's not as exciting.
3: That's right. That's the boring side of the job, which is (laughs) why you need to work with a firm that will just keep you booked.
5: Exactly. So they come to understand, you know, different teams start to see, wow, we have some gaps here. So they come to understand that as they have opportunities for new hires, hey, maybe we want to ask people, how much passion they get out of self-regulation or prudence activities
3: (laughs) and so forth. Well, and if you're starting a business, it might be good to know what your strengths are so you can hire a partner or a business manager that has the opposite to bring to the game. I mean, this is just information, isn't it?
5: It is. It's just information. It's very helpful information. And um, it's It helps you to round things out in your life. It helps you to plan for synergy. Now, there is something called strength collisions. Um, So it's possible that you may have a a really high strength thats that you're so passionate about that when other people tend to not show as much respect for it, it's called a hot button, and it, it might upset you. For example... My top strength is gratitude. One time I gave a gift to a friend and I'll never forget this. She said, "Oh, thanks," and threw it in the back seat of her car and didn't mention it again. <laughs> so, that was a hot button for yeah. me. It took me it, literally, it took me about a week to get over that. I kept thinking about it. Wow. That is so that.
7: rude. <laughs>
5: <laughs> so, so we have to understand our hot buttons. She has different strengths that don't value, you know, she didn't value that as much as I did. Um, So that happens in work. For example, you might have someone who's really high in zest and creativity. They're always coming up with great new ideas. And then you may have someone on the same team who's really high in prudence. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. You haven't, you know, checked the the data, the market data yet. You know, we haven't done enough research on this. What do you mean you want to launch this new product? So these two people actually need each other. Hmm. But until they understand that and plan for synergy, they may experience strengths collisions.
3: Oh, I've seen it all. The th- in fact, in relationships, it's a big problem. Yes. I see it coaching couples all the time.
5: Absolutely. Did you know that there's actually new uh, research that's being done on relationships?
3: Yeah, and, that and strengths. People
5: who respect one another's strengths to stay together.
3: Isn't that weird? Who'd have thunk it, Fatima? (laughs) That's amazing. Well, I I appreciate your time, Fatima. It really is a a great resource. Authentic Strengths is the name of the book. They just go to your website, authenticstrengths.com, and they can take a free assessment there?
5: Yes, they can take a free assessment. There's a button. It says, take the free strength (laughs) survey. That ought to be easy. And then they can get their two-page free report. Now, if they want an extended report, there is there are reports that are as long as 35 pages long. There's a charge for the expanded reports, and they can just email us on our contact and let us know they want the expanded report. That's but great. there is a free, great report that they can access.
3: Fatima Dolman, thank you so much. Keep up the great work.
5: Thank you. It was a pleasure to, to be with you.
3: You bet. keep using those strengths. Again, the website authenticstrengths.com and look for the button, take the assessment. Um isn't that uh, it's powerful. I'm telling you, I've I've had all of my kids go through the VIA the VIA assessment um they have and it's it's changed their lives quite honestly. I have one son that literally has learned why school was harder for him and why he's so creative and able to learn music by ear and do all of these other things Um, but it also helped him sort through how to how to utilize his talents how to magnify what his strengths are in life and really to turn that character outward to creating better results in life i mean it's one thing to have a ton of character it's another thing to actually turn it into something, right, and to actually manifest your your destiny, manifest what's good that you want to bring to the world. Powerful stuff, folks. We'll take a break. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you see the good in the world and to figure out your life one show at a time, slow and steady. You'll win the race. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio.
3: Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program three hours a day to give you the tools, the information you need to grow, to get healthier, happier, better results in life. Top of the morning to you and bottom of the morning for some of you on the East Coast. Got a great uh, guest coming up. We'll be talking about how maybe the way to improve your relationship is just to change how you see your partner. Instead of seeing your partner as an evil spawn of darkness sent to lower your life span, (laughs) maybe they're just... Instead, somebody that has a lot of worries. It doesn't okay. mean you have to be, you have to awfulize and turn your partner into someone they're not. Just learn to see him in a healthier way. It's hard to think of that, isn't it? Yeah, it's an interesting concept. It's blowing your mind. I yeah. like, hmm. um, we'll be talking about that. Also, getting to visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Also, I want to find out what they're doing for Memorial Day Hmm. because this is the day you're supposed to go. Decoration Day. Decoration Day. Go celebrate those who have given all and have passed. I love it. And have a barbecue. And have a big barbecue and roast yourself some hot dogs Hmm. and have some ice cream. Right. It's going to be a good weekend. Uh, We'll be getting to all of that. But first, let's get to Terry South, find out what's going on in the headlines. Terry, what's up? Thanks, Matt.
4: Donald Trump has reached the required 1,237 delegates to clinch the GOP nomination, according to a count by the Associated Press. Trump was pushed to victory by his win in the Washington state primary on Tuesday and now has 1,238 delegates. Other reports, such as one by CNN on Wednesday, have Trump just short of the required number. Unbound delegates exclusively told the AP they would support Trump, thereby tipping him to victory. So it's over. Yay! Not that it wasn't already over. Paul Manafort, a top aide to Donald Trump. As I've said before, he kind of looks like a casino pit boss uh, said the Republican nominee is unlikely to pick a woman or minority for the position of vice president because that would be quote viewed as pandering I think in a lengthy interview with the Huffington Post Uh. Manafort also said Trump's selection needs to be well seasoned in politics he needs an experienced person to do the part of the job that he doesn't want to do he sees himself more as the chairman of the board even or that even than the CEO let alone a COO
3: so so, yeah. it's, pandering it's pandering if he chooses a minority or a female. He needs somebody that can really do the job. He doesn't want to do, but couldn't that actually just be a female and even a female minority? That would be pandering. No, that would be just giving the job to the person that does a great job of that. Right. <laughs> what is happening? Yeah, it's like it's like one of the, I don't know, it's like per- one of the wheels came off of the world.
4: <laughs> Moving on, the president of the United Auto Workers endorsed Hillary Clinton on Wednesday, saying she understands our issues on trade, understands the complexities of multinational economies, and supports American workers, their families, and communities. In a statement, Dennis Williams cited Clinton's backing of paid family leave, equal pay for women, and expanding overtime rules as the reason for his endorsement. Uh, sounds like someone's pandering. A little bit. According to AAA, more than 38 million Americans will travel this Memorial Day weekend, an increase in nearly 2% compared to last year's holiday due to lower gas prices. AAA expects more U.S. drivers will pay the lowest uh, Memorial Day gas prices since 2005. Wow. AAA also estimates that Americans have saved eighteen billion dollars on gases so far gas so far this year compared to the same period in twenty fifteen and prices are the lowest level in eleven years. Sweet that's good news unless you're in the oil industry. yeah, sorry for all of you guys <laughs> who just lost eighteen billion dollars that's good news for the rest of us uh t s a yeah. They put out a detailed account. The agency report from the TSA details the abundant amount of money that they collect from people leaving behind spare change. Oh, I heard this. In fiscal year 2015, the TSA collected uh, $765,759.15. I'm just trying to look at it. So $765,000 in loose change that they claimed. People just leave it. You've done that, right? Emptied your pockets. I don't really carry change. Left your buoy knife. My buoy knife. The report details the airport with the greatest number of spare change left behind. What do you think?
3: Uh, I would say a
4: New York airport. Los Angeles. Oh, LAX. Yeah. Passengers there left behind $55,000 in change. <laughs> Miami Airport second with 50000 and John F. Kennedy Airport in New York contributed 43000 not all of the money was American currency. The report shows that $9,000 of the money they collected was foreign currency. The TSA says the money collected will be used to fund civil aviation security.
3: Really? Which okay. they need all the help they Good. can get, apparently. Whatever they can do to get more money there. That's fantastic. <laughs> we appreciate that. Hey, did you hear it? They're not just collecting money. TSA, they, they put out a list of some of the weirdest things that people have left behind Ooh. other than the money. Right. Uh, for example, how about a knife that looks like kind of a batarang? Yeah, that is like a bat. It looks like a bat, but it has a knife and it pokes out both sides, and mm-hmm. you can, I guess, harm people guess. on either side of the knife. That's a very popular one. But the crazy, uh, by the way, a stun gun that looks like a, a stun gun that looks like a jeweler. Like it looks like a like a lipstick case. In fact, Ben, we need to remember that. We need to jewel and bedazzle our stun guns, our tasers, to look like, like a cosmetic case. That's ingenious. It's ingenious. But the best, by far, uh, the, the craziest thing was a passenger traveled with a prop of a dead body from the Chainsaw Massacre movie. It is un he's- the guy looks like a the guy looks like a zombie it's a full life size body of uh it's a prop yeah and they're <laughs> they're pushing it in a chair through the t s a security area and then they put it on the luggage rack to run it through the scanner and it looks like a zombie going through a scanner yeah so what on earth are you thinking is you're the t s a guy? <laughs> and this this man's dragging this zombie up to you at Chicago o'hare airport uh sir you're going to have to put your zombie you're going to have to you're going to have to take your coat off that zombie cuz we and his belt and his shoes cuz we can't uh we can't check him this way if you're
4: on instagram if you go look at the tsa instagram feed they put up photos of the zombie uh, of the bat knife And of other things they confiscate, like the the sheer number of knives, crazy. Like here's just that's just one picture they They, put up, and just all the different
3: things people try to get through security. They collect more knives on a Saturday than they do at an NRA convention, which is crazy. Lots of it's a lot of knives. Ninja throwing stars,
4: uh, battle axes that people try to get through. Man. all kinds of just
3: wonderful things there's so as you're traveling through uh an airport this memorial weekend make sure you leave your zombie it bring your zombie home and your knives unless of course you've got the bat belt then you can just take your whole belt off it's called a utility belt is that what it's called yeah okay i'm sorry come on that sounds let's really stay stupid. up on these things because it's important
7: alert nerd <laughs>
4: um speaking of airlines yes i was telling you about new charges yeah Air travel, unmitigated nightmare. Would you say that about air travel usually? Or
3: Uh, I don't travel a lot. I'd say it's a mitigated nightmare. Mitigated, not necessarily unmitigated. The Wall Street Journal
4: reports the airline industry itself has found new ways to make passengers miserable. Miserable. So through so-called family fees. Oh, brother! Airlines are now charging passengers extra if they want a guaranteed seat next to their loved one.
3: You want to sit by grandma? So so
4: it says parents traveling with their children obviously want to sit together, but many airlines have removed the option to reserve a specific seat when you buy the cheapest ticket.
3: That's goodness Paying gracious. a premium
4: is often the only way to ensure that your child doesn't end up sitting between two complete strangers on an airplane. American Airlines, dividing your family. To make things worse, airlines like Delta and United are expanding the number of seats that offer extra legroom. Those seats cost extra, and that means a family would have to pay for a full row if they want the privilege of reserved seating. Man. In the worst cases, the increased prices come with no added perks whatsoever. Preferred seats on American Airlines are often no different from Coach. <laughs>
3: Wow. Well, now it's bad because if the airlines are going to do that, then when you say, sir, would you mind just scooting over a seat so I can sit by my innocent little five-year-old daughter? He'll be like, 50 bucks. I'll do it for 50 bucks. Yeah. If not, go buy a ticket. This is getting ugly.
4: Yeah. Because, I mean, obviously- What next? You you don't want your kid just sitting anywhere. Where did you guys get divorced?
3: American Airlines. (laughs) Wow. They are breaking up families. That's the
7: gate. (laughs)
3: We separated on Delta, and then we finalized the divorce on American. What is happening to our country? Come on. Don't charge people to sit by your family. Anyway, whatever. Just here to serve. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. It's frustrating. And if that wasn't bad enough, guess what the CDC says? Oh, Americans are fatter than ever. Oh, geez. Which ones? All of them? No. No, they all are. Americans overall, we are (laughs) – I thought they had picked a couple and were singling them out. The results are in from one of the largest and broadest surveys of health in the United States. And the findings – I don't know. More Americans had health insurance – That's great. Fewer Americans smoked in 2015 than in previous years. Excellent news. But it's all been overshadowed by rising rates of obesity and diabetes. Excellent. Mm. No, that's not good, Smithers. (laughs) Um, Every year since 1957, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they've been asking Americans 18 and older about their health. And now they have more than 100,000 people included in the study. This time, positive reports. There's some good stuff happening. But folks, we're getting fat. The big negative is that the rate of obesity in the United States is continuing its upward march. In 2015, 30.4% of Americans, 20 and older, are obese. That's up. Hmm. That's up about 5.5 percentage points, a half a point since 2014. We're gaining a half a percentage point in obesity per year, apparently. Although 2015 rate is not significantly higher than the previous years, it represents a continuation of the trend that has been going on since 1997. Did you know back in 1997, the survey said only 19.4% of Americans were obese? Hmm. Since 97, we've gained 10 percentage points. Mm. Go USA. Go, go, go. Eat, eat, eat. You know what? This is why what we need to do is start – we need to start a movement against ice cream. Against ice cream? No. An anti-ice cream movement mm. to to stop diabetes and obesity. Or should we have he- healthier options? No. Get rid of ice cream. altogether. I don't know why I feel this need. Wow. To destroy the ice cream Yeah, you industry. kind of
1: looked across the table at I me mean, when yeah. you said it. I-
3: Whoever would, like, base their entire job – I mean, Mm. it's like – any guy that would just make ice cream for people is a drug dealer. They're a drug dealer. Ben, don't eat so loud, brother. Why is ice cream chewy? Don't ask.
4: It's not – it melts. I mean, there's, like, crunchy stuff in ice cream, but chewy?
1: Man. I put some gummy bears in.
3: Not only are we eating more and more obese, but we are eating louder. Apparently. And apparently – there's an echo. Yeah. That's what it sounds like to eat in the bathtub apparently. OK. Audio straight out of Ben's bathroom. Took a mic in this morning.
7: <laughs> Crazy.
3: Anyway, man, what next, folks? What next? We can't sit by our family if – you know you can't buy a ticket to sit by your loved ones unless you want to pay if you want a guaranteed seat by each other. No, that's fine. My four-year-old could sit at the back of the plane. <laughs> Drives me crazy anyway. Ah, uh, folks, when uh, we come back, we're going to be talking with Gary Van Warmerdam about uh, your relationships and how maybe just a simple shift in how you think or see your partner and think about your partner, maybe that's all you need. Just a little shift in how you see them might uh, go a long, long way to a healthier, happier relationship. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and love stronger. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, as a relationship coach, I spend a lot of time trying to help people learn to talk and sort through their relationship issues. But uh, what if we could just improve our relationship with the simple beginning point of how we see our partner? Every fulfilling relationship begins with how you see your partner. And uh, Gary Van Warmerdam is on the line with us to talk about it. He is the creator of PathwayToHappiness.com, an interactive website with lessons for changing beliefs, that drive negative thoughts and emotions and behaviors. And he's here today to actually help us apply this now to our relationships. Gary Van Warmerdam, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
8: Hi, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me.
3: Great to have you. Talk about it. I mean, are we, we kind of, I guess, overall get the idea that our thinking leads to our feelings and actions and everything. Um, but this also applies just as much to how we think about our partner as it does how we think about anything else in our life.
8: And it's not only our thinking, but there's a there's a layer underneath our thinking that I call beliefs. You know that that, that our thinking and oftentimes our emotions arise from. Huh. For in, so, so in, and this is an invisible interpretation mechanism. Say you tell a joke, and one person laughs and finds it funny, and the other person is offended. <laughs>
3: Every day of my life, Gary.
8: They they have a response that they didn't necessarily consciously choose or think about. Right. But they have very different emotional responses to that same experience. And that happens at this invisible automated level of what I'll call beliefs.
3: And and it's hidden. That's so the belief level is kind of it's more of like our subconscious conscious. It's it's this deeper kind of unexamined thing.
8: It's unexamined until we realize this really is affecting how we feel. It's affecting how we behave. Hmm. It's affecting our happiness and sabotaging us. And then people go, I need to find out what's going on here then and become aware of this thing, this system that's been unconscious to me. And and that's where that kind of inner work or self-reflective work begins to look at those layers.
3: So walk us through an example of how we might be doing uh, or having beliefs— about our partner in our relationship that, that might lead us to, you know, an unhealthy relationship?
8: So a um, woman asks her, husband, will you take out the trash? Simple thing. Yeah. But he's busy doing something. He says, yes, of course, in his mind, I'm going to get to it um, tonight before everything's done. To her, in her mind, she doesn't know, but she's like 10 minutes is a good amount of time. She should get to it in 10 minutes. After 10 minutes, she starts to think, well, did he hear me? Did he forget? Did he get too busy? Do I need to remind him? I don't want to remind him. I don't want to be a nag. All of these thoughts are like, how does he see me? Interesting. And then 30 minutes go by and her interpretation, her thoughts arising from beliefs. Oh, he didn't hear me. He doesn't respect me. An hour goes by. He doesn't respect me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. Hmm. So the stories of thoughts are generated from this Image we have of ourselves. Now she feels hurt, and and our instinct is in that pain to, to not realize that she's generating this emotion to herself with her own thoughts and beliefs. But now she sees him not taking out the trash, and as far as she can tell, that's the cause of her pain, and she gets mad at him. Yeah. And so this happens, you know, without awareness uh, until we say, "What's my half in this?"
3: And because we we do have. A say, right, in our beliefs, um, or, or have they just been handed down? Are these beliefs just kind of quiet scripts that have been handed down throughout our life?
8: We've acquired these things and have no idea that they're there.
3: Yeah, and, and, but they're like, a, the, they could be a ticking time the, and, bomb.
8: And we end up living these automated behaviors and, and end up creating dramas. And a lot of times they're, they're very good beliefs to function with. In life, like okay, if P- if you're nice to people, they'll be nice to you.
7: Yeah, right. And this
8: is how we learn to get along and socialize. But you go out into adult life, and okay, I'm going to be nice to this person; they're going to be nice to me. But they aren't, and you keep getting uh, disappointed, or frustrated, or hurt. And you find out this belief, which was a good starting point, doesn't work for everybody all the time. You know, if you have a person in the office who's a sociopath, that belief system will fail you. And lead to frustration and disappointment, hurt, right, and self abuse in that situation.
3: That is so, so true,
8: and and that's a really good belief to have. That's not even a bad one.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You should be able to just believe that people are good, and they're and they're gonna they'll be nice.
8: Yeah, if you're nice, then they'll be nice too. A good principle to operate in, a simple way we build as a child, but the world to operate in as an adult, we really need to revise, we need to revise these belief systems for, because they'll they'll fail us at some point in some place.
3: How do we, uh, it's interesting, how do we r- revise a belief system that we don't even know is operating on us?
8: <laughs> well, the first, first thing you have to recognize, it's there. It's
3: something's happening it's assume
8: here. assume something's there. Um, and then you start looking at things that there are self-reflective processes. It's a journaling process. It's a taking time to notice your emotions and consider what what part is my interpretation of that instead of the automated it's them it's out there own that responsibility these are my emotions there's probably because i laughed at the joke or because i was offended by the joke or whatever it was the trash incident that emotion has got something to do with what i'm creating yeah and and that can be an uncomfortable realization but the upside is it's an empowering approach you're like if I'm responsible for this, I can change it
3: that's true huh and 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 then you can start to maybe detect uh the because out of this belief, like you were d- demonstrating earlier, we will eventually start having thoughts or interpretations like Oh, that person's a jerk <laughs> that they're being rude and then we we start taking it a different direction, so you I guess somehow backtrack it from. Your, you know, your act, your activities, your behaviors, your feelings throughout the day, and you can eventually track it back to, uh, by like journaling, you're saying, um, or other, you know, self-reflective things. I could track it back to finding the belief.
8: You can track it back to finding the belief. You can find what, what is the part of my mind that makes this interpretation mechanism. Yeah. And it, it has aspects of mindfulness and one of the techniques that I, I have in my book and my online course that I'll share is a lot of people journal first person. And that's not a very good way to get uh, an outsider perspective, a, a kind of observer perspective on what you're doing yourself. We can watch somebody else do something. We say, well, that's incongruent, and that's, they're contradicting themselves. And we can see where their, their arguments or their thoughts don't add up. But we have a hard time seeing our own. And so that's where writing helps to put it out on the page. But one of the techniques I teach is write about what goes on in your head and from a third-person point of view. Hmm. Get outside and watch yourself from the outside as if you're watching somebody else. And when you do that, you have a chance to, to be more neutral and, and not believe what your own thinking is. Because our tendency is when we're in our own thinking, when we're angry, It seems absolutely right. When we feel guilty about something, absolutely that feels true because our emotion fixates our point of view, fixates our perspective. It makes every thought seem true to that emotion. Hmm. But later we look at it and go, why did I feel that? What was I doing? I overreacted. And that outsider perspective that often comes later is the kind of shift in perspective that we need to change and I, I identify the belief for one, and to change that point of view, because we do. We, it part of that belief. Yeah, you know, anger has a whole belief system story. Guilt has a whole belief system story, and they're their own bubbles.
3: And we might have a favorite, right? We might defer more to anger or guilt or you know shame, I guess. And then we could we could probably see that a lot of our storylines lead to the same bubble.
8: They have patterns. Yeah. My clients do this work and they will they will find their patterns. They'll go to I feel hurt so I got angry at them and after I got angry at them, I started another one where I judged myself for being too angry and overreacting and then I hmm. felt guilty. And so I went from hurt to anger to guilt and then I had to do something to overplease to make up for it. And now you're so busy in one chain reaction to the next, you didn't really resolve the initial issue. Right. So this is part of kind of a long division problem you can't do this math in your head you have to kind of put it out on paper and say what are the steps here how did this go from one chain of event to the other you do it in your head you, you're, you're going to lose track of some of these elements and, and not get to the underlying layer
3: this is great. I mean, really, it's just it's basic. It's head work. It's its, it's headwork. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Gary Van Warmerdam from the website PathwayToHappiness.com. He's also the author of the book Mind Works, A Practical Guide to Changing Thoughts, Beliefs and Emotional Reactions. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion, get some more tools from Gary on how we can go back and start uncovering our beliefs and, uh, and better understand how they're connected to the emotions that we're all feeling. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's one thing every day, you know, as you struggle with your family, you know, a family member, a relationship, your spouse, it's easy to just think, oh, it's about whatever we're fighting about. It's about whatever the topic of the day is, except if these topics keep coming up and the tension and the emotion keeps, uh, keeps growing inside of you, you might not want to keep Fighting about the issue, you might want to dig a little deeper and find out what it is about you and track back uh, from your feelings to your thinking to your beliefs what's going on. And our guest today, Gary Van Warmerdam, is joining us. He is the author of. Of the book Mind Works, a practical guide to changing thoughts, beliefs, and emotional reactions, and also has a great website called pathwaytohappiness.com, which has a lot of free materials there and online courses, things you can do to work on how you think and understanding your belief system. Welcome back, Gary. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Matt. Talk about, um, some more ways that we can kind of backtrack and and take the emotions that we're feeling and even the judgments i'm making of my spouse how do i take a judgment and actually start working it back through my thinking and my and and get down to my my belief system
8: um usually when the judgment and criticism is one of the most destructive things that we do in relationships um usually there's this unconscious belief about the standard if we If we have self judgment about ourselves or something, oh, I shouldn't have gotten angry, well, okay, what is that standard? Like I should never get angry ever uh, never raise my voice, never have that tone of emotion okay, that presupposes like we shouldn't ever have emotion mm. as well, so that's not legitimate it's like so if you find that standard, you're not allowing some expression of emotion there There's a healthy place for anger, but Probably not so much unless someone's really attacking you. Um, so what is that standard? What is the standard of taking out the trash? Should it have been done in 10 minutes? Okay, you write that down. Okay, I got really mad at him. He didn't take out the trash. When did I think he would do it?
3: Yeah. It's the standard when, that's bugging when, you. The standard is where the belief lies, huh? It's focusing it's, on the standard. It's
8: not something we consciously think about. We yeah. Just, well, I just know you should have done it by now. Well, okay. It's in that sometimes a subtext there was not communicated because it's just assumed, and we might assume that they should know that also. Okay, not only should it have been in 10 minutes, but they should have known it's been 10 minutes without me asking. Oh, okay, that's my standard, but did I communicate that?
3: That is so and true. And so
8: this is where then now the standard wasn't met, and we have this other voice in our head that kind of says, Well, they didn't meet it or I didn't meet that standard. Therefore, I'm not good enough. I failed or they failed. That judgmental voice kicks in when the standard isn't met and now wants to kick somebody with a criticism. Hmm. So these are two different parts of the mind that kind of build to a judgment.
3: That is it's so true. I mean, and if it's not done our, our way, if it's not done in our time frame, all of a sudden it's and, but again, that's the unspoken standard, huh, that we don't necessarily talk about or bring up. But what a it's great conversation if we could and the, do that.
8: And the more brutal ones that, that affect us emotionally are the ones we have of ourselves, how our body's supposed to look, how much money we're supposed to have, where we should have been in our life financially at a certain point. Um, you know, those are the ones that often run in our own internal dialogue with ridiculous standards. When we really expose them, we're like, you know, who, would, who else would I apply to this yeah. this standard to? And like, would I judge them for not having achieved X, Y, Z? Like, no, I like them. They're good people. But we will really berate ourselves internally in our own, in our own dialogue. And, and that, ha- that impacts us emotionally.
3: Yeah. And then, and then we probably act that out on everyone else.
8: Those emotions want to come out somewhere. They're going to be mad at the world. They're going to be mad at ourselves we 're going to carry those around, and so yes, emotions happen
3: wow is i mean, I guess this is why so many people go to blaming parents and because I guess we assume a lot of these beliefs have been instilled by our upbringing, but they 've also been carried by all of us we We keep carrying them along with us because we never have known to go evaluate them
8: we we don't get that course in school and uh it's true that they come from our parents but they come from schools and religion grandparents whatever but on the playground playing something will happen we'll get teased and we'll say oh i hate them i'm never going to be anybody's friend we isolate ourselves so so just in interactions we create beliefs uh that are going to happen uh one client of mine his mom was really unhappy her her, his older brother was in Vietnam. He was 10 years old and his mom was just just emotionally upset every day that her son was in Vietnam and he's 10. And he's like, I'm going to make my mom happy and his idea of me, I'm going to be a massive success. I'm going to be and so he berated himself his whole life for not meeting up to that success and failing and he'd forgotten why. He had this big voice in his head berating him. So here was this really just self-created, not that he got from mom. He just saw mom being unhappy, thought he'd try and make her happy, and this is the way he'd do it. Hmm. But ended up feeling like his failure the whole life, even though he's a great success, Yeah. by any external standards. He had this voice in his head.
3: Can we help each other do that? Like, you you have these clients that you're helping to see their behaviors or their beliefs, and um, how do I help my children question their belief?
8: Ask them what they're thinking. Ask them what they're feeling. Make it okay to talk about their emotions and to just have them. Make it okay to talk about and explore the thoughts behind those emotions and to create a safe space that they can explore that instead of just repress it.
3: Hmm. Yeah, the safe space. I
8: mostly... No, go ahead. Must, and that 's just lifting that 's just saying it 's okay to have these, but to really be able to do that you 've got to be able to do that with yourself this isn 't something you can lead something somebody to do something you haven 't done yourself yeah huh? and it, going, i don't want to go back to you know this this notion we tend to blame our parents yeah uh, certainly they they have a responsible role you know when we 're kids we're we 're under that influence, but at a certain point. What blame is, is it's not taking responsibility. It's, it's saying it's entirely on them. Um, and at a certain point, you have to say, I'm gonna move past that consciously and I say, I'm now an adult, or I'm now 15, and I'm gonna take responsibility for what goes on in my mind now, today. I may have learned this pattern at five, but I'm going to take responsibility for what I'm doing with it today, and I'm. It's up because it's really up to us to change it. Nobody can change what goes on in our mind, internally, and the thoughts we think, and what we, ch- which ones we choose to believe, except for us. Yeah. And when you do that, you step out of the victim-blame judgment game, to a different perspective, and, and you can change it from that point of view. It's important to recognize it was there. It's important to, to recognize that you have it but if you want to fixate on who did it when you're not in that diagnosis is not part of the healing and solution problem
3: right that's interesting and um we also use it to our advantage right so sometimes we like the the belief because it, it you know gets us out of stuff but sometimes we don't like the belief because it makes us feel weaker i mean it's it, it's also self-serving at times huh
8: it is self-serving
3: at our own but cost. It's
8: usually an illusion of self-service. Right, yeah, exactly. When you really investigate it, it, it at a surface level might seem I'm getting something out of it, I'm avoiding something uncomfortable. But when you dig to the layers, you go, you know, this this is far more hurtful than helpful. Hmm. So so again, there's beliefs about it serving but when you when you investigate those oftentimes it just falls apart and go no that really isn't working for me
3: that's not cutting it it's too
8: high emotionally
3: well gary we appreciate yeah. it this is great insight and uh, again everybody go to the website uh, pathwaytohappiness.com and look up his book mind works a practical guide to changing thoughts beliefs and emotional reactions it's not necessarily easy work but man just to start unhooking two or three beliefs that you no longer have to hang and beat yourself up with, wow, could change your life and change your relationships. Helping you see the good in the world, folks, which is you. You're doing a great job. You're, you're probably doing a lot better than you'll ever give yourself credit for. We'll take a break. Come back, visit our buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Friends, we are going to rock you right now as we shoot it down to our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. You big disgrace. (laughs) I knew this would pump you up, boys. Oh. Is this not one of the
6: top three greatest hype songs related to sports all time? Totally.
3: And sports nothing. This is what I want to play when we go to war.
6: I'm randomly thinking of, speaking of war, I'm randomly thinking of, speaking of war. that scene from, is it A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger? <laughs> yes, yeah. I love that. When, when all the people are singing this song before they joust in medieval times. That's a good
3: movie. That, I, I had no idea the song was that old, but yeah, it was a big hit during jousting season. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Man. Those were, were the days. Hey guys, what are you doing for Memorial Day?
6: I don't know, Jeremy, what are you doing? You have the day
2: off. Won't be here. I've got to work.
6: I'm yes. working.
3: Oh man. That's horrible.
2: I oh, don't know, it's okay. Your Sports station is live on Memorial Day.
3: And you guys are live every day.
6: We
2: there do. A couple days generally have live. a live presence.
3: Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good presence is a good word to add to there that.
2: There are only a couple days a year where we'll do a best of, you know? Yeah.
3: Well, that's bad for you. It's okay. I mean, it's I'll be on the day. I'll be on the beach of the Great Salt Lake.
6: In a lot of ways, this is my
2: happy place, and I'm not kidding. No, really. Yeah, J- bring Jason and Brian in, you know?
3: Yeah, but I think you'd probably be happier with Jerem there. I mean, wouldn't – I mean, it <laughs> would seems I, like – Matt? You- <laughs> would I? <laughs> but would I really? <laughs> That's a good point there. I understand.
6: Oh, there's nothing – I mean, you can't – this 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 friendship goes back a long way. I oh,
3: know you guys have been chummy, I think forever
2: oh seven six yeah six, the fall of oh six
6: no it's gotten to the point where I drive jerem nuts that's how close we are which is it's, <laughs> a, it's, it's a good thing it's part of it's part of a close relationship yeah
2: we no. share an office do you know this yeah i, I didn't i've never like we don't have i used to have my own office, and then Spencer was uh, had a had a desk area and then we have our own office together. wow.
6: Yeah,
3: it's fun. Do you guys...
6: Do
2: we have Tecmo Super Bowl in there? Yes, we do. <laughs> I've did we play yesterday? Yes, yes we, we did. did. <laughs>
3: How come I've never seen your office? I guess I'd never actually get out of my it's office. It's adjacent
6: to Studio A. Look, you've, we have extended the invitation. Of open door policy for Matt Townsend. You just uh, have looked down upon us from your throne over on the other side of the
2: yeah. building and decided yeah. that Oh, I'm on there for three hours, not just one. You're too good to come and hang out with us. I don't, don't mean <laughs> to
3: demean you boys, but... Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm actually in my really big office on my couch taking a nap.
2: We're trying to get a couch in our
3: office. <laughs> I'd love to see you get a couch in your office. Is, <laughs> um, not to brag. Anyway. Hey, um, okay, here's a question for you. Uh, which, if you had to pick, uh, which gender child uh, is more expensive to raise?
2: Male. Male.
6: That would be the shocking one, right? Because you think with girls and hair products and clothing and all of that stuff, you, it's like I think the easy answer is the female. So I'm I'm with Jerem. I'm going to guess male because you want to shock
2: us.
3: No, it's females.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I figured that was a 50-50. Uh, yeah. Roughly. How much more expensive?
3: Well, the, I guess it just depends. Um, it, females are more expensive. And by the way, why would you think that? That doesn't seem fair. Can't we just be equal to raise?
6: I think that parents and moms in particular buy more clothing for female babies. That's because there's more available. There is more available, fact.
3: Oh yeah, there is more available and if it's pink, you have to pay for that special color. Right? It costs more. But yes. but boys um when it I don't know. It sounds like it's it sounds a little sexist. But boys girls are about $400 a month to raise. Boys are about 370
6: so 30 bucks more a month-huh
3: and, and it's not that, that they eat year, more
6: that's uh, that 360 eight? bucks put that over three years that's wait that's, so what's what's the per month? one thousand bucks four hundred
3: to about 370 oh my goodness but here's the deal let me just tell you something as a person that uh, I have one girl and five boys when those boys hit about 13 they seem to get more expensive
2: wait hold on so 18 18 years of this is about eighty thousand dollars
3: yeah yeah <laughs> But actually, but but hold what? on, but hold on. That's actually, when you actually look at the numbers, apparently it's like 214 no, or 15,000. No, right. No, it's more money. Listen to these numbers overall, adjusted over the entire age of the child. Um, in 2002, you'll spend about $241,000, 300,000 projected inflation on child rearing expenses for the next 17 years. Is
2: that per kid?
3: Per kid. Now, I have one child. I think I'm
2: done. Well, that's if also. Well, here's Talk the to thing, the doc though. today. Here's I think the I'm done.
6: Like, you get so much. Back, yeah. From having a child, goodness, they create so much happiness they they and they don't earn enough. And, oh,
2: oh, oh, I get why.
6: Yeah. Saying.
3: So your wife, your wife must be listening, Spence.
6: No, she's not. Okay. Like, I, I you guess,
3: love your kids so much that it's. Oh it's you'd easily pay three hundred grand.
6: It's an investment on the happiness of your future.
3: Now I, I'm going to bet that that's also an average child. If you have like a, a, an advanced child that's in special, that's like on special teams, it's maybe a, a super leaguer. That's going to cost you about 500, 600 grand a kid. <laughs> it you gets know. expensive. It gets really expensive. and to fill my house. But it shouldn't, no, Jeremy, it shouldn't, it shouldn't dissuade you. You need to do this. You need to just go have two or three more kids and, sh- and share the joy. It's only
2: because isn't m- it about time? Oh. Wow, that was. I see what you did there.
3: Way to bring in a church commercial.
6: Family, Cypher in the Snow.
3: That's good. Um speaking of making lots of money um to raise people, what's on your show today?
2: Holy cow.
3: I couldn't I didn't have a segue. Today's ready.
2: a big show. A loaded,
3: loaded loaded Today's a big show. All what? the other ones are garbage what? compared and to this show.
6: one. Yes, every show is big, but this one just <laughs> No, not every show is big. We this one got us pretty pretty ramped up this morning. <laughs> I'm fire it up. For one, it's a milestone moment in the countdown to the wild. Yeah. Place. Okay. Why? Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into the specifics of that in just a bit. It's a milestone party day. Party poppers
2: have been brought to the studio. Whether we <laughs> use them or not is a different question. Don't <laughs>
6: make me get the poppers out, kids.
2: Okay. <laughs> Seriously. So there considered.
6: are some party like, supplies currently here? in Studio B. Wow. Have
3: they been
2: confiscated and maybe leaving the studio?
6: <laughs> make
3: sure yes. you put your glasses on. Remember, always protect the eyes.
2: Okay. Now, this
6: was all spurred because yesterday, Arizona's athletic director- said that BYU has bought more tickets for the opening game the cactus, in
2: Arizona. cactus kickoff. The
6: cactus kickoff at uh, the space sh- station at, in Glendale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Cape looks, Glendale. It looks like a space station. Uh, Are you a BYU has, has sold more tickets than Arizona. Are you kidding? Right now. As of right now. Oh,
3: he's trying to get his Arizona people. outselling
6: Arizona. of course he is. It's a brilliant PR move on his part to be like, hey, uh, we want to have more BYU or more Arizona fans than BYU fans here on September 3rd, so.
3: Interesting. Okay. Okay, that's cool.
6: Okay, so there's that angle, and then it just got us thinking, like, what, what will the result of that game mean for the entirety of the 2016 BYU football season? How... How will it
2: affect how mm. things play out?
3: That's how you start. You've got to start good. You've got to kill it. Come on.
2: And then here's the worst tease ever. And what former BYU tight end who plays for the Baltimore Ravens returned to practice yesterday? Ooh. Wow. Worst Ooh. Tease He's a ever. Super
3: Bowl champion. Yeah. Did you guys um, – who wrote the tease?
2: We didn't. I, I it, just Jeremy did right just there. In oh, okay. Yeah, you just ad-libbed
3: yeah. a tease. Okay. A, it, it was a pro. bad tease,
2: though, because it's obvious who it is.
3: It was pitiful.
2: Some people. Were, it, oh. oh!
7: I see! Bada, oh, boom, bada Brought
2: to you by
3: Peter pit. <laughs> <laughs> that tease was pitiful.
7: Oh, yeah. Ah,
6: oh.
3: <laughs> you guys, you make it so much fun. Even when you don't seemingly have anything, you've got a lot.
6: And you're like. we got the freshman of the year in West Coast Conference Baseball on the show, too. You're like Keaton the thing. menace.
2: Huge.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm Dennis the Menace, dude.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay, well, um. Sounds like a good one. Oh, you WCC gotta WCC go.
2: tournament begins today. Yeah. Go
3: wax up, wax off, and have a happy Memorial Day.
2: I will. <laughs> Thanks. Hasta la vista. Thanks,
6: man. See you guys.
3: That uh, is sad. They don't get to go – well, one of them doesn't. One has to work and one gets to go play. But this show, I'm, I'm going to go celebrate Memorial Day. I will go honor those that have given their lives for our country. That's what I do. I don't just eat hamburgers and hot dogs, but I will. But I'm going to go honor those that have given their lives. So I I challenge all of you to go do the same thing. It's Memorial Day. When you are walking around and you see somebody that's uh, in the armed services, please thank them for their service. When you go visit the grave sites, go Pay special attention to those that are marked uh, as, as having had military service. Teach your kids about this, folks. We have all of these incredible rights and freedoms, and we talk about them all the time on the show, and man, we are blessed and gifted and given so many things, and yet none of it would happen if we didn't have years and years of people willing uh, to have laid their lives down for us. The rights without any reflection are useless. And so let's at least do what we can as parents and as citizens to uh, make sure that we reflect. Just reflect. Just tell your kids a story. Today I will get to go speak to the fifth graders and tell them a bunch of stories about those that have fallen and also those that have lived to make uh, our freedoms ours. So – Make sure you take care of that. Uh, We also like to end, as you know, with a hero story. And who better to be our hero than a teenager who rescues a man who had fallen down in a hole? Listen to this. Ben Cornthwaite is his name. He's a teenager, and he's been praised for saving the life of a man who had fallen down into an underground mine shaft. Cornthwaite, 16, helped the 38-year-old man who said uh, he had been walking with his dog in Altham, England, when he felt dizzy and fell into a four-foot hole. He had been trapped for nearly five hours before Ben heard his calls for help. It's believed the man was knocked unconscious during the fall. Firefighters said Ben's quick-thinking actions without doubt saved this man's life. Ben had been riding his bike when he heard cries for help. He went to investigate and found the uh, topless man strapped in the mine shaft. Ben said, I went into the woods on my dad's old motorbike to make sure it was all right. I stopped for a while to give my arms a rest. I heard someone shouting, help, help. I went up to the mine shaft and out of the corner of my eye, I saw skin and tattoos. I looked down and there was a guy shaking violently, asking for water. I called my dad to come and help and I asked my mom to call the ambulance. He came up with a rope and we pulled the man out. So Ben Korthwaite, uh, you're the guy. You're the hero of the day. And really the true heroes this weekend are all of those that, have, that serve in the armed forces, those that have been willing to give up their lives so that we can have the freedoms we do. We honor them, and until uh, this, this weekend, let's make sure we step up, all of us, as heroes and, and live um, live healthy, live right, live true to, the, uh, to those that have given their lives for all of your rights. Thanks, folks, for joining us. We'll be back Monday, more actually Tuesday, more tools, more ideas to help you live longer and stronger. Until then, take care and watch after each other.